we've already started recording a podcast, just <laughs> trying to set up the plates. And it's like, man, every time we hit, before we hit record, sometimes the good conversations start. So I got Ross Ellinger, I got Cody Lostro with us and myself, and we have all just gotten back from um, our lynx hunt from Canada. Ross, you guys good there? Oh yeah, we're good. Uh, I, I uh, wish I was still there. Yeah, I could second that. It, uh, it's good to be home, but uh, you can't beat hunting in a new place either. No, it, it was. It's interesting. I I uh, I started going back in like 2017, kind of. I got tied into it just on a whim. Like my buddy Don was uh, doing some training for a guy, Stuart, who I go with. And anyways, he called me last minute and was like, Hey buddy, you want to go to Canada with me? I got to go take some dogs and, and uh, do a lynx hunt. And I literally had like two days, three days of notice. <laughs> I called my wife and I'm like, Hey, can I go to Canada to lynx hunt? <laughs> She's like, sure. And so, um, I just pretty much hopped in the truck. We each took a couple dogs and, and it's, it was a, it was a cool experience for me. You know what I mean? So like I've, I've enjoyed it and I've, I've, I haven't gone every year, but um, anyways, a lot of people ask, I'm sure you guys have gotten a lot of questions about what it's like. And so I, I thought, you know what, let's do a podcast on that. Well, yeah, our, I think our experiences are, yeah, I mean, me and me and you buddy and, and Cody's experiences were quite a bit different as well even though we weren't very far away from each other yeah and how far uh how far north of me were were you guys hunting i was in williams lake and you were in where uh just out of quinnell so maybe an hour and a half two hours you know the next major town up and then we are an hour and a half from that town to a little town called nazco which essentially has a a a native american fuel stop i don't know how to describe it ross you went in there once <laughs> that's about it they got i got a gas pump and inside they got uh a few things to keep you alive as far as food goes and that's about it yeah i think they, they got a, a box of cheerios and a couple candy bars and that's about it that's about it <laughs> well, it must uh, have been enough for you guys to survive at least yeah yeah Stuart. Stuart has a, a whole outfit that you know you, you get fed out of there so so you were hunting cody with uh kelly morton kelly morton hunting that's correct it, what was yep, that kelly, what sorry, was that like give me a give me a uh, i haven't gone with, with kelly or anybody i've only gone with Stuart. but what explain that facility yeah uh kelly's uh his camp there in bc he's got um set up it sounds like they've been doing it there for a while but basically uh kind of, there's two two homes there kind of the house that the some of his guides and him stay in and then another cabin that uh, the hunters and everything stay in. So we get to, you know, hang out and eat together every night. And, and but each each group gets their own houses and stuff, some privacy if you need it. Um, yeah. Nice. But, yeah, obviously we, we all dealt with the same same situation of uh, of either either no snow or old crappy snow. And uh, and yeah, so I don't know how deep we want to get into that right now. But basically, yeah, me and Kelly. Uh, uh, would go out and, and just hunt every day, make it happen. You know, whether the conditions are, are good or not, you're still out there giving yourself a shot. Yeah. You drive that far. It's like, we're going to go play with some dogs. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I don't <laughs> care what, it, be whatever it is, we're going to go play with some dogs. Good, bad, or otherwise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I didn't drive all the way up there to let them ride in the box all day. Yeah. Uh, and you know, every, all of us had a pretty, pretty good haul. So it was good to get actually some, 
get those dogs kind of some energy burned off. I'm sure they were ready to run, run too. How long was your drive? Well, it was supposed to be 24 hours, uh, just driving time, but it took me like a day and a half to get through Wyoming because of the roads were so terrible. It was 35, 40 mile an hour all the way through there. So, uh, I kind of played around. I hunted my way up through Wyoming a little bit, uh, until I got to good roads and then drove any, long story short, it took like three days to get up there. Nice. But you got the dogs out quite a bit then. Yeah. Yeah. We got to run a bit on the way up there and, and then obviously challenges of stopping and feeding and all the issues that come up with that along the way. And then of course, one of my females came into heat, uh, <laughs> on the way and I got two uncut males in the box. So it's a, a whole nother story there about stopping oh. to build a divider in my box, uh, in the middle James, of the night in Home Depot. James was telling me about that. You were supposed to say, <laughs> I forgot about that. James was telling me you had to swing by Home Depot to try and make a divider. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a divider in my box. So when I was trying to shuffle dogs around between the cab and the back i finally had enough of it and just said you know what i'm home depot is going to get a little business tonight so i stopped in spokane and uh, bought some material and yeah i had to climb like in the box and build it inside the box because obviously you're not gonna be able to slide a dividing wall through a door so yeah it's all the all the challenges that we face as uh as uh houndsmen whether we're hunting cats or bears or anything else right like there's problems that come up you got to adapt to for sure yeah, no, he was telling me, he goes, pull up to the parking lot because he's meeting you for something. I forget what it was, but he had to meet you for something and hand you something. I don't know what it was, something. And he goes, I pull up to the hotel or whatever, and here's Cody sleeping in his truck. And he's like, damn, that's a hardcore son of a bitch. He's up working all night on a dog box and he didn't even go in the bed in the hotel. Oh. No, I never did get a hotel on the way up there or the way back. I just sleep in the truck for a little while and keep rolling. Wow. You're, yeah, you're obviously more hardcore than i oh, i'll say hardcore. <laughs> more of a badass than i am i'm like i'm getting a room man i'm i'm getting old i can't handle that badass might be the wrong word a, a cheap ass might be the better word <laughs> I, uh, I hate I to know. spend 100 bucks to be in there for three hours yeah yeah ross how how far was your drive well i had about 35 36 hours one way um thankfully we had we had good roads virtually the whole time um otherwise you know it, it doesn't take long to turn that 35 hours into 40 plus and, and be pretty miserable but i left i left about two days early um just in case i ran into that so i wouldn't have to hammer through some bad roads and you know if, if it was snowing the roads are bad i was just gonna plan on hanging out for for a day somewhere and have it not cut into my not cut into my hunting so yeah um, which was nice because then I, I ended up getting, I spent a little time in Missoula with some friends and then uh, I got up there a day early and it kind of gave me a chance to get accustomed to the, to the area a little bit. And I rode my dog some, tried to take a little bit of piss and vinegar out of them from being in the box mm -hmm. for four days and kind of just got to relax a little bit rather than, you know, being stuck in the truck and getting there late at night and then up in the morning to hunt again. It was, it was kind of nice to have that, that data acclimate a little bit yeah. for me and, and my dogs. Yeah. Where'd you come from Ross? Uh, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so all, Cody, but it was fun. Yeah. yeah. And Cody, you got up there the day before your hunt or how, what was your schedule? Like when you got there? Yeah, I got there the day before. We were uh, scheduled to start on Monday, 
So I got there Sunday night and uh, Kelly actually had another uh, hunter in camp too. That was after uh, lion and lynx. Okay. Cool. Um, awesome. So what, what was the, and have you guys both traveled with dogs before or whatever, but one of the topics I wanted to cover was, is traveling that far with dogs. What, so I'll start with you, Cody. So we don't talk at each other, but what's the number one thing you were concerned about? Like what, you know, besides building a divider in the middle of your dog <laughs> box with, with females in heat, but what were, what, what was your concern when you're, when you're trying to prep for that? Uh, yeah, my biggest concern, I guess, traveling that far for that long with the, the dogs is make sure we just, they just got enough space, uh, where they're not getting too grouchy and, and growly, um, which typically I don't have a problem with. They're pretty well behaved, but, um, beyond that really water hydration. I don't know why, if it's everybody's dogs or just mine, but they don't seem to drink real well when they're, you know, in and out of a box, uh, just getting out for a quick second. And then they're, you know, they're obviously trying to burn in a few more calories back there as well. So, um, you know, every time I'd, I'd feed, make sure I'm soaking their feed with water and they're kind of forcefully getting some water in them. Yeah. Um, that was, that was my biggest concern anyways, is just keeping them hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would say the same thing. Um, I got, my dogs are the same way. They don't, they don't really like to drink two of the dogs I brought. I can soak their, their feed and water. I mean, I could put a gallon of water on top of that food and they drink all gallon just to get to that food that's at the bottom. But two of them that I brought with, I can't do that. The first, if I dump water in their food, the first thing they do is knock it over. Um, so <laughs> it, it can be a challenge. And, um, like you said, I, and I actually think my dogs, I mean, they're, they lost quite a bit of weight. Um, while I was gone and I don't necessarily think it was because they ran that hard or, or, or that long. Um, I, I'm guessing it's a lot of water weight that they, that they lost. And that's, that's even the two dogs that, that drink a lot of water. So I think that is a concern, but also you don't want to be giving them too much water. I don't want to have to let them out every three hours. Um, yeah. you know, so they're not pissing in the box or whatever. Um, so that that's kind or, of a or crap shit in exactly. the box. I'm, I'm always worried about feeding too much. Like I told my wife, I was like, hey, could you feed those dogs like at noon before I left? Because I left like 4 30 that night after work. It was Cyber Monday. So I, I went into work because I was gonna have a revolt if I skipped out on Cyber Monday. So I was like, I gotta go work. And then I left after that. But I told my wife, I was like, could you feed those dogs like noon or so? And then we can kick them outside and hopefully they can clean out so I could get a good run before feeding them right before you leave and then having to stop an hour and a half or have a present in there. So I would say one thing uh, that makes traveling with dogs easier is if you got a really good handle on your dogs as well. Um, I mean, there was a couple places I stopped where I'd, I'd just grab leashes and, and hook them up to leashes on the corner of my trucks, just, you know, cause it's busy road right there next to it or whatever. But I, I tried to pick places, you know, that had a fairly decent, big parking lot or big yard or something. And I'd just throw their, their TT 25s on them and just let them out quick. Um, that saves yeah. you a lot of time. Um, I, I also brought a, a chain gang with me, but man, if you got a pound in stakes and, you know, snap them all up individually, I mean, that adds a lot of time to your stops. Whereas if you can just, you know, put a collar on them and, and open up that box and let them free run a little bit, they seem to clean out a lot faster too than if they're, if they're hooked up to a, to a chain somewhere. Um, so that, I think that's very beneficial 
um, if you can, if you got a good enough handle on your dogs to be able to do that. I would yeah. totally agree with that. I fed, fed pretty much the same way. Just let them out, tie them to the truck, feed them. And, uh, and even on top of that, yeah, if the area was big enough, I would, I just open the mm-hmm. box and let them out. I don't even worry about collaring them. They, they've almost got used to where when they know the collar's on, we're hunting and when it's off, they just know we're, we're only going to be out a second. But. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good, I think that's actually something that's overlooked a lot in people. Um, part of my first year's experience and um, I don't want to pick on people too much, but the dogs that we, we had, you know, so it was me and Don and we were taking some other dogs up there that were not mine and Don's. And there was a moment there where me and Don just stopped off the road. We found this big like gravel pit, you know, underneath some, some uh, power lines and we're the same way. Open the dog box. All the dogs hop out. They clean out. We go get some food. You know, we just let them stretch their legs a little bit after sleeping. And the the, the two dogs that were not ours were like gone. See they were just like. <laughs> and I remember thinking me and Don were like, we didn't have collars on. We didn't. You know, because we're just used to like, like you said, Cody, just come over here. You know what I mean? Dogs don't take off. They know when they're hunting. And my dog kind of want to be around me. And those two dogs were like. Out of the box, we go hunting, and I'm and we were literally like, "Well, we just lost these dogs." <laughs> and <laughs> half of me was like, "How much was it going to cost us?" Because we're still going to go hunting without those two. You know what I mean? And that was a learning curve for me that I didn't experience. But the handle and being able to just not fight dogs on the road is huge, huge. I mean, it it it's easy to say. But unless you actually can do that with a, a pack of dogs that you're going to take, I would highly not overlook that statement. You know what I mean? Like being able to take dogs and if you're going to travel, practice, go find a field, kick them out, feed them, put them back in the dog box. And if they take off and you're yelling and screaming and it's going to be a hard trip, you know what I mean? Like that, that adds time Lots to of time. everything you're going to do. Lots of time. So. And stress. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed yeah. to be a fun trip, not a nightmare. Yeah, 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 exactly. You you look at a dog out there and you're, you're already yelling. Um, you've been in the truck for 10 hours, 12 hours. Like, you just, you're tired. Like, especially for someone like me that does go to bed in a hotel room, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm ready to go to bed, man. I'm like, do I really got to let these dogs out? And you're like, yes, you do, buddy. <laughs> yes, you do. You got you to gotta <laughs> take care of the dogs. And so you let the dogs out. And so if you can make that a 10-minute, let them out, go to the bathroom, clean out, they go back and they want to be, go to bed too. And, and then I can just lock the, the, the truck and go off into the room or whatever. But if it's a fight, now you're fighting right before bed. And it's just like some of that stuff I think is highly overlooked. So spot on. That's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. We're already teaching something or, or hopefully giving some experience. Um, so when one of the questions I have is taking dogs across the border, what was, so I, I can tell you one thing you don't want on this dog. I had, a, I had a new dog with me and uh, that dog. So, so what the border agents do not like is a dog barking at the border. Like when you pull up at midnight and it's super quiet and there's nobody at the border and then a dog just goes, just takes off and just, <laughs> It's like, well, we woke everybody up here at the border and, and they're like, how many dogs you got in the box? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm starting to count and they, 
I've never had that experience before because most of the time my dogs are pretty chill in the box. But um, this young one that I had was not very chill. And so I'm going to tell you one thing I would have done differently on my trip this time is I would have probably um, appropriately given some Benadryl or something to that dog to make sure that they're not uh, hyper at the border. When you pull up to the border, you want a clean pass at the border. I can tell the one thing I can tell you about Canada is, is you want a clean pass. You know, you don't want to attract attention to no yourself when you're going across the border. Right. And a dog just sounding off like it just struck a bear is not a, that's a red flag at the border. They, they start asking questions about that. So um, if you have a dog, that if, if your dogs are going to bark at new things, you know, you've been driving for eight hours and you pull up and there's a, a an agent right there, you know, that, that they're going to bark at. Those are things you want to consider. I didn't have that problem until this trip. And and this trip, it didn't cause a problem, but it definitely uh, added time to my, my check-in process. I can tell you that. Absolutely. And you get going north of the border enough times, which I'm sure you have, you start realizing real quick, uh, like Ross said, no red flags is, is the way to go. Like they, for whatever reason, it's always, you never always get trouble going in, but never coming home. Yeah. And, like back when I traveled up there a bunch when I was riding bulls and everything, and we got some crazy stories about the stuff they did to us going to Canada. And yeah, the smoother you look, the more the more squared away you are, the better. Yeah, I bet you when you're a cowboy, they're like, "Uh oh, this is this is a group of problem right here." Right? <laughs> oh man, yeah. And and even just rancher type stuff, right? Where you got you know what whatever some syringes and needles because you were giving vaccinations to your cattle the day before, and then. You, that's in in sight and you pull through the <laughs> through the <laughs> deck station there they are damn sure gonna gonna bring you in and and yeah. give, give you the you know the rundown on what can and can't be brought to canada oh yeah ross you were pretty smooth across the border yeah we were smooth in smooth out i mean i was actually kind of shocked how easy it was to get the dogs across i know when we've been planning this i, I mean i've asked you a million questions just just to make sure, you know, I had my eyes dotted, my T's crossed, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't even look at my rabies papers. They asked if I had them, and I said, yep, and they're like, okay, and they didn't say another word. I mean, um, I guess I won't recommend, you know, showing up there without them, uh, but yeah, I had everything in line, and I think they, they realized that, didn't see any red flags, so it was it was pretty much an in and out. I, I did have a firearm with me. Um, and shockingly enough, my my uh, trip across with a firearm was a lot quicker than your trip across without. Um, so, did, Cody, did you bring a gun? I didn't bring one. No, uh, I tried to make that seamless as possible. Did it work for you? Oh yeah, they asked. Damn. They they kind of I guess raised a little suspicion when I told them I was going hunting but didn't have a firearm. Yeah. But, but then when I told them, you know, the guy I'm meeting up here has has one, then that was the end of it. I told Stuart every time he's like, yeah, just don't, don't worry about it. It's, it's you know, more of a hassle to bring it. And so I, I did a moose hunt last time and went a bear hunt this summer and bring a gun, pull in, pay the paper, check out. No problem. When I don't bring a gun, they're like, what do you mean? You're going hunting without a gun. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, we, I don't really, number one, I don't care if I shoot the cat. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'll take pictures or whatever, which ironically I forgot my camera at the, the tree or whatever, but <laughs> They seem yeah. to flag me down when I, I told Stuart, I said, I'm just going to pack a gun next time just 
just because, you know, and I was kind of joking. I said, I got like this high, this, this, uh, this high point, you know, this, this, it's like a throwaway gun. I'm like, just going to put that somewhere. They find that, then they kick it out and then I'm good to go. You know, so they found the one thing not, don't do that. That's a joke guys. Um, <laughs> no pistols, but just throw a pellet gun in there. Exactly. Just something so that they can be like, okay, that, that was it, you know? Um, cause it seems like they're looking for something. And my experience whenever they were like, cause I got flagged for the dogs. Like when that dog sounded off the demeanor of that gal, she didn't like dogs or something. I don't know who doesn't like a dog, but um, that gal was like, how many dogs? And I'm like, I got to start counting. Cause I'm like, how many did I bring versus how many I have? You know, I don't want to, you don't want to say the wrong thing, right? Be like, I got five. And then you got six or you get six. And you got, I'm like, ah, count and make sure I tell her the right thing. Cause I don't want to say the wrong thing. And, uh, She's like, you got all the paperwork for him? I'm like, yes. And, you know, rabies and whatever. And she goes, any guns? And I said, no, I didn't bring guns. No guns? And she goes, come over here and check in. And I mean, she she was not happy with me. And I'm like, crap, here we go. <laughs> and then it was the fifth degree when I got in there. And all I can tell you is, is um, I was I was joking with uh, Art, Art Ragsdale. He went up there. I don't know the somewhere. And I told him there's a position that you assume on the benches at the border. And it's like proper sitting up, hands crossed. You know what I mean? And you just sit there like a polite, you know, like you're like you're sitting in court, you know, basically. Like you got at the principal's office. <laughs> exactly. Like you, you don't want to you don't want to smile too much. You don't want to smile too little. You know what I mean? You're just you want to hold a, a, a firm pressure that you don't look anxious, you know what I mean? But you don't look happy. You don't look anxious. You just look content. And it's those agents. It's their sole ability to accept you or reject you. You know what I mean? And uh, asking the questions and they, you know, it's like the one question they asked me was, you don't have any guns. And I go, no, I don't have any guns. Do you have any pistols? And I go, but um, my, I don't have any <laughs> pistols with me. Do you have any pistols at home? I'm like, uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, but you don't have any with you here. And I'm like, no, I, I like, I'm, I'm trying not to give too many answers. Like I have a lot of guns, but I said, I'll be honest with you. I'm so nervous about crossing the border with the, I have ammo in my truck most of the time from hunting. So I strip my truck. I look for any ammo, any 22 shell, any, you know, things that are just normal to me in my daily life. And I try to make sure those are not in here because I know if you find a nine mil shell in my truck, you're going to tear my truck apart looking for the, the nine mil, you know? And he just kind of smirked. That's the first time I seen a, a, one of those guys smirk. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't know if I'm winning or losing, but you know, I'm like, <laughs> anyways, he's like, well, I still got to do my job, you know? And I said, no problem. And anyways, they, he went and checked. He only checked for like five, 10 minutes. I think realized I was telling the truth and um, I was good to go, but, Definitely the dog barking and the no gun was my, it, it added about 30 minutes to my, my travels. Yeah. And what border, what border did you go through? Uh, Sumas, Abbotsford. Okay. It's a Ross, smaller one. Through, oh, sorry. Nope. It's a smaller uh, one. Ross, did you go through Midway? Yeah. By yep. chance? Same one you did. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. You must've went before me. Cause that gal there was like, yeah, oh, there was another link center that come through here. Okay. Well, maybe there was three of us because I think you went just ahead of me, or I thought so. Yeah. Anyways, oh, really? but but yeah, there must have been huh. there must have been a few of us. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it was a breeze. They were super nice. I yeah. had the gun on top. I could have 
I could have had my truck full of guns. They didn't look for anything. They asked me to pull it out and they checked it out quick and away I went. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying I'd literally handed her my passport rabies papers. She said, thank you. And away we went like it was, well, then she asked me about a gun. I was there for less than five minutes. Yeah. But they never got out of the truck, never had to pull in or anything like that. No. Yeah. I've done that. Um, the first, every time I've not taken a gun, I've had to pull. No, I take it back. There was one time and it was during COVID. So they were all about the COVID stuff back then. And, um, papers and passports and whatever and, and show me they your had papers. A, yeah yeah the, the passports is what they called them i was at a restaurant when i was traveling the, we got kicked out of the restaurant not kicked out because we had our passports but um they were like all they're more concerned about that at that point not guns now they're back to guns and dogs um, so anyways um just to recap when you pull up to the border roll your windows down radio off you know, two and two and ten fan position, pull up, have your ID ready and make sure no dogs are barking. Uh, no jokes. And, 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 you know, you got to figure the gun part out yourself. Um, I did the research that like, I've, I've never had anybody ask about dog food, but the rules used to be, you know, you couldn't have more than 44 pounds in an unopened bag. I've always had a 50 pound bag. I make sure it's not opened because I, I want to make sure that it follows that rule. Cause I don't want them to kick my dog food out but um, you're not supposed to have an open bag of dog food. So I always try to have a little bucket to fill so I can feed before the border. And then I have my dog food after the border. Um, I've never had anybody even question that, but I just would hate to, for somebody to have that happen. And then they don't have dog food when they get there. That's a strange rule. I wonder why that is. I wasn't even aware of that. Honestly, I just looked into our, the dog requirements. I didn't know anything about food. Yeah, and I and I don't see that. It, and this was a couple of years ago when I seen that rule. So I was kind of looking, and I was like, I don't. That might have changed. I just know in the past when I was looking, that was the rule was hmm. no more than twenty kilograms. Which I just did the math, and I'm like, that's forty four pounds because I'm not smart enough. But and it was supposed to be not open. And I think it's because of export. You know, what I mean, you're not supposed to import or export. Um, and, and so yeah. Anyways, um. And you got to declare your guns. So don't, if you do bring a gun, make sure you let them know that you got a gun. Uh, tobacco, alcohol. <laughs> we went moose hunting. Um, I have my buddy with, and, and they drink, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, a, I'm not a drinker, so I don't, I didn't take any alcohol with me. But they do ask for alcohol, tobacco, uh, marijuana. I don't know if you guys, did you guys pack any of that? Chew. Sure. Probably pack chew or something. Yeah, I brought some chew for, uh, for me and my friends, you can make a lot of Canadian friends. You bring them up some chew from the States. <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> you didn't tell the agent that, though. <laughs> no, I told her I brought some. Yeah. Oh, you did? I said I got some for me and some for my buddy. Oh, right on. But no. it was within the allowable limit or whatever. Yeah. Is it, was it, two, is it two rolls? Yeah. Okay. I, uh. I went with Mike bear hunting and he brought two rolls, which was 10 cans. And so my, when I crossed that one, we crossed the border and they asked me to, you know, tobacco. And I said, yeah, he's got 10 rolls. Oh and no. <laughs> he just like 10 rolls. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. 10 rolls. And uh, that's a lot of chew. Like, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, 
maybe I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> but you know, and, and, and Mike's like, it's 10 cans, two rolls. And he goes, Oh, okay. Okay. I said, okay, well, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Sorry. So, so make sure you don't say it wrong. And then I went with Dan and he, uh, he had, a, there's a limit on alcohol too. Like one 12 pack, I think, is it a 12 pack or a 24 pack? I don't know. You'd have to look at this, but they pull up to the border and the, the agent's like, yeah, you got any alcohol? He goes, yeah, we got a couple fifths back here, you know, 72 cans. <laughs> and the agent's like, wow, that's a lot of alcohol. And he goes, uh, yeah, we're here for like a seven-day moose hunt. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to drink it. So <laughs> you got to look at that 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 too. They, they let him go through, but that agent probably must not have drunk because I think he could have just taken all his alcohol. So um, those are the things they care about whenever they cross the border. They want to know how much tobacco you got how much alcohol you got and the guns and marijuana they asked me you know what's another one so a lot of people don't under don't know about too is if you've had a dui in the states you can't cross the border into canada for 10 years after that conviction is it 10 years yep yeah Um, oh and uh yeah the first time i found that out was with a, a friend of mine that was in the truck and actually had a dui that none of us knew about and and they wouldn't they wouldn't let him cross and they wouldn't let us leave him at the border. Uh, so it, it kind of messed up the whole trip. See, that's the, uh, that's funny because I've always joked. I'm like, y'all got anything in your back. I'm leaving you and I'm going hunting. You know what I mean? <laughs> Apparently they don't let me go. I didn't know that. I'm going to put them in their own truck next time. Cause you guys wouldn't, you wouldn't able to just keep going and just leave him. No, no. They said we couldn't leave him. And, and the closest hotel was like an hour away and it's, long story about what happened there, but yeah, we didn't have time to finish what we were doing. And so I yeah. basically drove from Colorado to the border of Canada and back home for fun. Oh yeah. See, that is not like I've joked with people. Like I had, um, my first trip I had, I was going with somebody that had some, and I won't get into it, the total history, but there was a question of, could he come or not? You're right. He had some, some, way back history, like 20, 30 years, whatever. And it was a process for them and and they let them through. We got to go hunt. But I was, that was a learning experience for me, which was like, holy shit. And I didn't have a, a Colorado trip. I was like, you know, five hours. And I was still like this bullshit, <laughs> you know, five <laughs> hours. I'm gonna, damn, you're screwing up. I was invited in a three day, you know, I was the one on the invite and I was already getting a little pissy about it. You know, that, that was, one thing that I learned really quick is they are a, a DUI is a felony up there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you have a DUI, don't even try, you're, you're, you're not going to get through, like they're going to catch that. And that's considered a felony and that's a long drive to have to turn around. So anybody in your truck, you need to vet and make sure that they're not going to mess up your hunt. I would have had over 20 mm-hmm. hours in before I would have found that out. That would have, that would have sucked. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, we, we had over 20 hours of driving before we crossed. So that, that yeah. would have been. Oh, I thought you meant before you thought about it. Oh, no. Yeah. So there wouldn't have been no quick turning around. <laughs> um, and then any kind of, honestly, there's any legal issue you've had, like you, you just want to double check that. So if you've had any type of, um, domestic violence, uh, DUI, any type of, of thing like that. You just want to be really cautious and make sure that your, your record is, you know, checked out. Cause I don't know all the details of different things, but I know that 
little things here in the state and it, it could be just a small little speck on your your history when you're 18 and boy they catch it and they're like tell me about this and it's like Dude, that was so far ago so anyways that's a good point cody um and then once you got across the border it was pretty smooth sailing for me i mean you guys have any issues no, no issues other than trying to figure out how much I'm paying for gas by the leader. I, did, I didn't even try to figure it out. I just filled it up. It was what it was. That's all I did too. But like I could be spending $8 a gallon right now and I have no idea. <laughs> it was, I was, uh, when we went to Stewart's, I was like, I was like, I don't know if it was 17. I, I looked at a number and I'm like, holy crap, that looks expensive. <laughs> um, but it's, it's going like, I, I can't even explain the conversion. Maybe somebody in Canada could explain it, but it it's not even comprehensible that it's like 17 per milliliter or whatever it is. And so you look at it, you're like $17 for like a third of a gallon. And you're like, Tim, is that like $20 a gallon? Or I mean, it's, it's confusing as hell. We figured it out at one of the gas stations. I, I gave Andrea a quick, quick, quick math lesson. So, you know, we figured out how many liters were in a gallon. Um, uh-huh. and then do you remember it was like, it was ended up being like $4 a gallon or just a little under four, four bucks a gallon. Um, okay. And that was, uh, you know, that was one particular gas station. I think they were all fairly, fairly similar. So it turned out being, well, I think when we crossed in Washington, gas was like three twenty nine a gallon or something like that. And I think in Canada it ended up being about four bucks a gallon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit more expensive for sure, but shit, it is what it is. And I was getting about, but you're right, Cody, when you're filling up, you, you, you're like, dude, they could be like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could be $10 a gallon. Yeah. So, um, and then kilometers, yeah, that, my biggest thing is, is kilometers. Um, they got the speed limit of kilometers. It's like a hundred hundred kilometers an hour, 120 kilometers an hour. And I'm like, I can't. When you're really tired, trying to look at your speedometer to look at the kilometers on the speedometers, I can't focus that good. I just but, changed you know, my digital to the you know, change the units from the to metric. So then mine just read the kilometers because I yeah, I'm the same way. Those numbers are so small. It's like, how fast am I going? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I I just got to the point where it was between like 65 and 70 was about the speed limit on most of them roads. So I just keep it there and. Hope yeah. I stayed off their radar. I had one moment where I'm passing a cop and you're at that, that, uh, in the States, you'd probably be, you know, cool. But over there, I'm like, I might be pushing it a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was, it was one of them like standoff, you know, speeds where I'm like, he's going faster than the speed limit I'm looking at. Cause like I use my Garmin, uh, drive track 70 cause it shows me the speedometer. It shows me red when I'm going over and I look down at that and I'm like, shit, that's red. <laughs> And, but I'd already committed to like passing them. And so I'm like, I hope this guy's cool. And <laughs> when you're hauling dogs with a dog box and a, and a, like, like our trucks are not incognito. You know what I mean? When you got dogs and you know, you're, you're traveling to go hunt, you got coolers on top. I mean, you're, you're loaded for bear. You're going to be like, you're set up. And so, yeah, exactly. Yep. I'm like, th- if that guy don't like hunters, like, not a day to pass him. And even though I don't know if I was doing, you know, four or five miles over or what, but I just know that I looked at my GPS, it was red. And I knew if I just slid in behind him, I'd probably be like, well, that's going to look suspect. You know, so you're kind of stuck. You're like, well, we're, 
we're just going to roll through this. And I was right at Williams Lake, Cody. I was actually rolling through Williams Lake coming there. And, and, uh, and he didn't, he was cool. It was a share or whatever it was for a local, local cop. But, um, uh, that was the only time where I was like, man, I don't know what happens. Cause Ross asked me earlier, he said, how much over can you go? And I'm like, I don't know, but <laughs> I know I didn't get busted at this, but I was pretty puckered up that I'm like, damn, that's not going to be a good, I don't know what happens after that. So yeah. Anyway. yeah. Always a good bet to just stay off the radar. Yeah. Well, let's talk country. about the dogs. So that's the traveling. Um, fair. It's, it's, you know, I think we covered some of that. Getting across the borders, traveling with dogs, those are some of the things to get there. The, what people really probably want to talk about is the dogs, right? The lynx, the cat hunting. Um, and then I also want to talk about the guiding and the process. But, but Cody, you guys got in, and you had a way different experience than me and Ross. So me and Ross got our asses kicked for like four days, uh, basically. You know, I, I said we got our teeth kicked in, but um, it was rough, like at least for me. It, I believe I could have probably caught one in there. I had to call dogs off twice of tracks that were moving that for wolves and, and, and just my comfort level, I wasn't comfortable letting them go. But, but you guys, you guys started out strong, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, I think you had some more kind of old crappy snow where you were at just some whatever. I like the way you talk, man. Keep talking like that. <laughs> just <laughs> Give me some excuses. I have any more excuses, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we didn't really have, have much snow at all, you know, up real high, there was a little bit of snow, but for the main, main part of it, it just kind of icy roads was about the only thing that had snow. Um, so yeah, we just, uh, went to free casting dogs, you know, obviously like we would hunt here, rolling through areas that we, that should have cats in them and, um, and letting them dog strike a track and go from there. And obviously having a good couple good, uh, you know, strike dogs on the ground was, was critical at that point. Um, How many just dogs? Like you, we started some tracks, you know, that, that we couldn't run. Um, but that's, that's the way it goes, right. When you're, when yeah. you're casting dogs, but, but yeah, it worked. I mean, it started good. We caught, caught a cat, uh, every day for a couple of days. And then, then, uh, we, we took an ass whooping later on in the week as well. So, uh, let's talk about that. But how many dogs and, and, did the cats start like what you would expect them to start back home? Yeah. So, uh, I brought up six, I didn't hunt them all at once. We, uh, usually, usually I brought in like three or four and then Kelly brought three or four mm -hmm. and we just, you know, that's what we had in the box. Sometimes we yep. had them all on the ground. Sometimes we didn't, but, um, but yeah, the cats started really just like ours do here. Um, you know, we get a strike, they start trailing kind of try to figure out if we're going the right way or not. Um, and then, you know, we never did find a track on any of those cats we caught. Uh, so yeah. it was just kind of trusting those dogs. And, and there is, we caught them, them few in the first couple was pretty nice. Like not a ton of blowdown, you know, there was some, but not like stuff you couldn't get through. And on the jump race, those dogs smoked them. Like once yeah. they got them moving, it was over in like hundred, 150 yards. I was actually questioning what was even happening at that point, you know, <laughs> Cause, uh, that's the, the dogs could just move. Right. And the cats yeah. were going up. Um, what, uh, what, what kind of vegetation, like when you say there's no blowdowns and stuff like that, explain the vegetation. Um, and every, so, so Ross, everybody's got a different baseline, right? Colorado, you got your pine trees, Ross, you got 
hardwoods, I'm guessing. Swamps, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm over here in Evergreen. So explain to people as best you can what vegetation or, or what what kind of trees and, and ground you're looking at there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh honestly there's a lot of aspen there as as well. Um and then big pines, you know, I don't know. I'm not an expert on all the different types of trees, mm-hmm. but definitely different stuff than we've got here in Colorado. Uh, there were some great, great big trees, kind of like what, probably what you're familiar with there, buddy. Um, but just really dense, right? Like just a lot, a lot of vegetation. How tall do you say those trees are? I, I've never hunted that area, so I don't know. But Yeah, I mean, some of them big trees are, I mean, they're 100 foot tall or better. Okay. I mean, they're big for, for what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, it, it reminded me of kind of like our high country here, you know, where we get before you get above tree line, when we get all that snow that sits there all winter, that's how our forests are here, right? Just super densely vegetated. Um, when they get, you know, when they start dying and stuff, then that's when we get a lot of downfall and everything in those areas as well. And that's what this reminded me of just real, real dense, big, big timber. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess they log up there quite a bit too. So there was a fair bit of regrowth and regen in, in a lot of areas. Was there, was there, did you have any logging trucks and activity of the radio channel? Yeah, there was logging trucks in some areas. We kind of obviously tried to avoid that and them guys don't slow down. They, they're, <laughs> they're moving. Last thing I want to do is have a bunch of dogs trying to figure out where a track went off the road and have one of those guys come through. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we had the wolves too, you know, we, we were able to find some wolf tracks here and there and they'd run. It seemed like we'd get in an area and then wolves would have run every road in that area. Uh, hmm. So that was obviously, especially being from Colorado, we don't have much issue with wolves yet. Um, we will, unfortunately, that's a whole nother story, but, uh, but casting dogs, when you know there's wolves around, that's a, kind of a little that's spooky. That's the most anxious part. That's the most that? anxious part for me. Like that is by far and large what's always on my mind up there is is wolves. And if I come back with with dogs that got killed by wolves, I told Stuart, I said that's my last trip. I, I just I the fight I'm gonna have at home. I don't know if I could get over it. I I, I may, you know what I mean? I may be a, a stronger but I know my wife and my family would not. They, I would, I would have to literally fight to go back with dogs if that happened. Yeah, that's a tough deal. That's something nobody wants to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Cody, did you? So yeah, did you? Okay. Uh, uh, we were talking about the vegetation. Did you find much rabbit sign since you guys didn't have didn't have snow? Because I know where me and Buddy were. I mean, it was you know you'd get into a patch of thirty foot tall pine trees. Some of that regrowth but yet pretty immature stuff i mean and it would be loaded with with rabbit tracks and boom there's the links um i I mean it it was not hard to find where the links typically hang out because where where the rabbits were uh there was a ton of links tracks so did uh, i mean were you able to see that not having snow and um yeah you know in some of those areas that did have a little bit of a, a little bit, you know, here, snow here and there, there was rabbit tracks, squirrel tracks and all of it. And grouse, you know, every, every, every time you turn around, there's a grouse jumping up. Just the amount of, of game there, lynx food was, was crazy. Like, you know, you talk about the next couple of years, lynx hunting up there is going to be pretty yeah. stinking awesome. Then yeah. we'll be, then we'll be having issues, but too many cats on a chase instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, not being able to find one. 
Yeah, and we yeah. ran into that a little bit, you know, especially when our snow was bad. I mean, I know I had dogs out, and I wouldn't be surprised if they ran three different cats jumped and just couldn't stick with the same one. You know, they'd kind of loop back into the same area and switch. My dogs would split. Two of them would be going this way barking. Two of them would be going the other way barking. And I think they were just having issues of sticking on the the, the same one. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's the the number of cat tracks we saw and stuff just absolutely blew my mind i i never would have i never, never seen anything like it and i never would have guessed that yeah Definitely Ross, give population. us a give us a describe the terrain that, that we were in it's a little different than what cody was i think yeah so i um you know i i would call it mountains but it that definitely wasn't super rugged stuff um there were some spots that were pretty steep, but a lot of the area that we were hunting had, has been burnt or logged. So we were looking to, to find links. We were looking for those patches, uh, you know, 30 foot tall pine trees and stuff. Cause like I said, that's where, that's where the rabbits hung out and that's where the links hung out. Um, not to say, you know, when you got out of those areas, you'd find some tracks too. I'm guessing cats, cats probably crossing country. Um, it seemed like a lot of those patches ended up being a you know a mile-ish by a mile i don't know for what reason but that's about how big they they were and when you get into those patches i mean they were loaded they were loaded with cats and then you know around that you if it was a burn you know them trees burn and there's just poles left and then the wind will blow them over so there'd be a lot of blowdowns um and it it just seems like the fires and the logging have, have just really chunked up a lot of that a lot of that country um and, and made it yeah. very diverse and beetles there's a lot of beetle kill up okay there. like uh some of that is, is i mean that area was definitely a burn but um beetle killed a lot of that so cody did you guys have a lot of blowdowns or did you get into some blowdowns up there uh in different areas we got into them um and in a lot of those areas they weren't burned or or anything it was i think i'm guessing just wind and old age on those trees yeah that probably um, be beetles probably beetles could have been beetles yeah we have a ton of beetles here in colorado too with mm-hmm. rough on forests but um but yeah different areas i mean some were almost almost impossible to get through right like every step you're climbing over or on or under something um but other areas that what it wasn't too bad to walk in and 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 uh Actually, where I where I caught that big lynx that I took, he uh, he liked to stay on roads. It was kind of strange. Like he walked down several different roads and never got off of them. And then right before we caught him, it was just a quick little whoop, <laughs> just right off the road. Um, but yeah, n- I mean, definitely you'd call them mountains, but pretty pretty so, tame. Let's yeah. go back to that. So you're without snow when you caught that big one, right? Correct. So how big was that? Uh, he was 32 pounds. Okay, that's why I, I want to make sure that you told me not hear from the third. Like I heard yeah. 45, Cody. By the time it got to me, it was bigger. No. Um, so so ex- just explain that race. That was, that's a big lynx. Just like, and I'm not a lynx expert. I've been enough that I, I you know, our, our biggest one that we've get killed was 27. And it was a, a really nice one that uh, um, Cody Moorhead. Colby, sorry, um, 
took two years ago and it was a really nice links and and i remember walking into that thing and going dude if you don't take that one i will because it was <laughs> it was nice so i can't imagine what a 32 was but when i walked into the 27 i was like holy shit like that's that was there was no doubt in my mind that was a nice links what i walked into I yeah. haven't had the opportunity to a nice one like that, but I told Stuart, I said, I'm looking for a 33 now. <laughs> that Cody's killed a 32. Can you give me my 33? And uh, anyway, so that was the joke all week whenever I heard that you, you got that one. But explain the race. And so um, they're running the roads. I mean, when you started it, you just watched some dogs crank up on it? Or how did you, how did that thing start? Yeah, we're just roading dogs, uh, you know, and they, they got birdie and, and tail started going. And next thing you know, a couple of those strike dogs sound off and they started moving it and um, moved it through. I guess they didn't, they didn't, it didn't, it started on the road or near the road, right? But they mm -hmm. worked it down through like a draw where that cat had done some circling around in their hunt, hunting, I guess. Um, so it slowed them down a bit through that draw, working through that. And then they come out the other side and they went down a road and turned on a side road. And I mean, we're just moving like, does it make you nervous when they run down a road like that? Yeah. Especially in areas I don't, I'm not familiar <laughs> with. Right. Like it's one thing when you're like, Oh, I know nobody, nobody goes on that road or that's an old logging road or whatever, but, but yeah, they're just scooting. I mean, almost yeah. like they're almost like they're just running and they don't yeah. have it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you start questioning yourself, like, are they talking themselves into like, you'll yeah. one up in each other, especially mixing dogs. If you hadn't mixed dogs down there, right. With, with, with Kelly, right. I'm sure in the back of your head, you're thinking, and I'm no, no offense to Kelly. He's probably thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. <laughs> is, is Kelly's dog sucker? My dog's into it. And and he's thinking, is Cody's dog sucker? My dog. This is, you know I mean? Everybody's puckered up at this point, whenever this is happening. Cause this happened to me too. I had dogs screaming down the road and, and I, you know, Stuart's like, they don't have it. And I said, ah, they, I said, they have it, but they're going to overrun this thing. And so anyways, I don't want to take over your story, but I, I just want to comprehend that in my mind, this is what's going through my mind. If I'm hunting with you, I'm like, Cody's dog might be screwing this up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, and maybe it's just me, but I go through that more than I feel like is, is acceptable. Right. When I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if they're doing things the right way. And yeah. it seems like nine times out of 10, if I trust them dogs, they will come up with the game. Yep. Uh, usually when I try to get involved, I'll screw things up. Uh, so it's a long, a long way to say, uh, you know, we're like, I don't know, this might be right. It might not be, but they look, we let them go. Boom. Uh, come up treed and you know, there, they got so many stinking roads. You don't have to walk. How far anywhere. did they overrun on, on the road when they ran screamed down the road and the cat turned, how far did, did it take your dogs to correct it? They didn't overrun it. Oh, they didn't overrun it, huh? No, no. Nice. On the Garmin, they just made, they went down the road, turned on a side road and then made, made one little turn and were treed. And I don't know if he was on the road when they come up on him or what, but, um, but yeah, they, I mean, really run it, run it flawless, which doesn't happen every time, but, uh, anyhow, so they don't like, there's so many roads over there. We just, we, it's not that far of a hike, but he's like, Oh, there's another road. We'll drive around there. And we just walked in, you know, didn't know what we had. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. You talk about knowing exactly what you're looking at. Like that's a big, you know, a big cat. Yeah. When we got to the tree, it was kind of tough to see. Right. And, and the cats bunched up and we looked at it for a while and it wasn't that moment of like, Oh my gosh, that's a monster. We better yeah. take it. It was like, yeah, that's a nice cat. Like it looks like, a, you know, we're just 
just BSing about it. And I, I told Kelly, I said, like, that looks like a good cat to me. Like I'm happy with it and I'll, I'll go ahead and take this one. And then when it hit the dirt and it kind of stretched out, I was like, Oh, oh that, that thing's oh. bigger than I thought it was. And even Kelly is like, that's, that's something like I haven't seen really up here before. And yeah. Um, uh, you know, it, Kelly's seen a lot of them and he's, he's had a lot of clients. So you never know if a guy's just trying to hype you up about your, your animal or if it's legit, but it ended this up is being the guide legit. talk. You don't know, you're like, you give me the guide talk. You give me like, like, like Oh, that's a nice one. <laughs> like, don't bullshit me. I, I want to know for real yeah. what you really think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just dumb luck, you know, it's just how it is. You give yourself a shot and sometimes you catch those real big ones and, uh, that happened to be the day, my day, I guess it's about time I get some of that b beginner luck. Like I see some of these other people having. Yeah. Cause that yeah. was the, I mean, that was the only, that's only the second links I'd ever seen in a tree. So it's kind of cool. It's, um, what you talk about when they're balled up is the same with bear, any, any animal trying to judge when you don't have a lot of experience with it is tough. And bobcats links cats, when they ball up, you, I know exactly what you're saying. You're looking at that and you're not wanting to, you know, when they ball up like that, sometimes they look, make themselves look pretty small. I mean, that's, that's probably their whole intent, right? Is they're trying to make themselves look small. It's, it's pretty impressive that a 32 pound cat can make himself look small. <laughs> he almost got a pass, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, let, letting him, let, giving him a pass what ran through my mind just because like I said, I, I'm just here to catch cats. Like, I mean, I'd like to take a nice one home if I, if I get an opportunity, but it's not, it wasn't mandatory. I'd rather go catch cats every day and, yeah. and have a good time working dogs. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. but you know, I, I don't know, maybe this is a conversation later on, but I actually, uh, ate that cat too. And it was phenomenal. Did you really? Yeah. I just wanted to try it because the guy that lived there, he's like, Oh yeah, I like links. And he's just real nonchalant about it. And I was like, well, I'm going to try it. So, so we cooked, cooked it up that night and i tell you what i like it better than lion even wow like it was really damn crazy. it now i'm mad at myself <laughs> for not doing the same thing oh uh, yeah it was it was great oh and so you just cooked the back how'd you cook it um just a little bit of seasoning and then fried it up in a pan really mm -hmm. wow i might have to get brave and try that Man, you don't even need to get brave. Like once you eat it, like my kids, my youngest, she's fairly picky. I guarantee, I guarantee she would eat this stuff. It was really? like a mild mix between chicken and pork. Have you eaten bobcat? Um, I haven't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that now though. Actually, after the lynx experience, I'm uh, so I'm gonna try the bobcat. After I got my lion, I mean, my family loved it. My kids would tell you that's their favorite meat. Now, you know, it might be kind of the novelty of it, but we loved it. And I shot a bobcat a few years ago, and I'm like, I'm gonna eat that some bitch. So we, I, I did do some. Um, I just tried to make it like, uh, uh, like taco meat almost. Um, it wasn't great to be honest with you, but it, I want to try it again. Try try to make it a different way. You know, maybe I screwed it up because it got pretty dry, and um, it just it, it just wasn't that great. But man, I'm up for eating anything, and now I'm now I'm a little mad I didn't eat that link. So it just kind of adds to the experience, you know? Yeah. Well, you have to go again and, and eat the next one. I guess so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I tried a bobcat, like my first bobcat, I didn't have hounds back then. I was elk hunting and I, I come in and I mean, I shot a dink. It was, it was just eating on an elk, uh, the gut pile. And, uh, 
I tried it. We tried to jerk it and it was, but it, it was so salty. I think it was for me seasoning, over seasoning at, at elk camp. You know, I mean, you're, you're not exactly at home where you're like prepping yeah. it. We were like out in the bush and like, oh yeah, we'll just put some salt on it and try to jerk it over a fire. And it was horrible. But uh, <laughs> I think I if you had some again. tools, right? Like if you had a, a slow cooker or something uh, to cook some of that stuff, you, a good cook could probably make any of that stuff uh, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you think you're a good cook at elk camp. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, let's try some of this. Nah, you, you gotta, you know, but I think uh, I may have to try it next time. Like I said, I'm, I definitely you am. You got me curious but now. If you don't bring me the meat, <laughs> the 32 pounds, you got plenty of it. Like but, <laughs> uh, it um, don't, it don't last long. It's funny though. You look at them cats, you know, even at that one, like, right. I didn't even know 32 pounds when we weighed it. I was like, Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that yeah. was big. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then apparently it's the biggest one they've ever caught, but it looks like they should weigh more, right? They're just all fur and legs. Like there's nothing to them. It's, it's cool. Cool. How they're made, right? It's how you can understand how they get around in that deep snow. So well, exactly. That's exactly what I tell people. And I mean, shit, mine looked like a 40 pound bobcat when I was holding it up. And that's what, you know, my, most of my friends are, when I tell them it's only, was only 22 pounds are like, what? seriously because yeah like you said they're just so long and that fur is just so thick they they look huge until you actually put them on a scale it's like god damn but just like you said that's how they can float around on that on that snow the way they do with them huge feet you you can pull that off as like i think i think i seen like 70 pounds i I showed one of the persons you're your cat and like holy cow how heavy is that like 70 pounds i'm like yeah, no, not 70 <laughs> you just hold a lion like that you're badass you just hold the lion up yeah yeah that would be rough even at 30 pounds or 32 pounds it was stinking i guess i was trying to be real tough holding that thing out for a picture <laughs> you guys took some good pictures of it though that's the sure. one thing sometimes that i always uh forget at the end of the day it's like man taking some time to get some good pictures and that is one thing about the guides and stuff like that. They're they're good at doing that. Uh, that was a really nice picture you had. So Courtney, yeah, Kelly, Kelly spent some time perfecting that. Yeah, you get in the right angle. Like I said, I, when I seen it, I I had the, I had the number, you know, which I I, I looked at and I knew that the number was good. You know, thirty two. I was like, that's a big one. But when you're looking at that picture, you're like, man, it kind of looks. I want to say photoshopped because that's not photoshopped, but the angle and the you know. That, those guys got that shit figured out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They know how to make a, a small animal look big and they can make a big animal look really big. For sure. So, so how'd the rest of your hunt go then Cody? Uh, it, uh, yeah. So the next, let's see, we caught them too. And then the next day, uh, that other hunter from camp jumped in with us mm-hmm. and we rode a dogs and had a few strikes. He, did he have dogs? No, he was okay. from uh, South Dakota okay, and uh, just kind of popped in on this hunt last minute. He didn't, uh, I don't think he had it planned for very long. And, um, but anyhow, yeah, so he jumped in with us and, um, and away we went, had some strikes, but didn't, didn't, wasn't have anything we were able to trail and catch. Um, and then the next day we got our butts kicked and kind of, it sounds like similar situation you got in. We, uh, had a actually a real cold strike, you know, the uh, dogs were, them two strike dogs were really trailing it slow, but still moving it and finally got it going pretty well. And, um, 
and we got into too many cats. Like I think we, I know I, I know there was at least three going in that area and same deal. We had them jumped and had dogs split and cats everywhere. And, um, ended up calling some dogs back for the same reason they'd got too far away and we were nervous of the wolves. And, uh, yeah, just one of those days that we all know can happen with dogs that, uh, you, it's a roller coaster of emotions where you feel like it's going good and then it falls apart and then it's going good and mm-hmm. falls apart. And then yeah. at the end of the day, you've walked a whole lot or driven a whole lot and uh, got nothing to show for it, but, uh, but some new experience for sure. Yeah. Is that similar to what you guys run into as far as just too many cats? So, so Ross, just explain what the feeling was on day on the morning one. Okay. Like when you get up there and what, I mean, it was like, we were talking like a high of a low, but you get up there and what you've seen, I mean, you were, you were amped. So explain to me like what, what happened when you got up there morning one? Cause you were like, this is awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I've been winter hunting enough to know that, you know, the, the snow that we had down at camp, I'm like, man, this is less than ideal, but, um, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going hunting. Um, and yeah. I, me personally, I was a little bit excited to have snow because i was um you know i just got done running bears for three months my dogs haven't been on a cat all year they're just sat in the dog box for four days to get here i was a little apprehensive to you know have to road them and and my dogs don't really rig much um if they rigged i better look up because there's probably a cat right there so um you know i was just happy to have some snow that I can find a track and know I'm putting them on the right thing. Well, we, we take this, this main logging road all the way up. I mean, and we turn off the road and we're not 50 yards off that side road and boom, there's a cat track. You go another 10 yards, boom, there's a cat track, but you know, you're looking at it in the snow and you're like, shit, I don't know if that's a week old or if that's last night, you know, and until you look at a bunch of tracks, you know, I want to find something that I know is from last night. So I got something to compare it to. Well, it's just, I mean, you couldn't drive 50 yards down them roads without, without cutting another cat yeah. track. And I'm like, God damn. And I, I just didn't know, um, what was fresh, what was not. And eventually I just started dropping dogs. I'd find a track, drop a dog. Now they got a little bit of a scent, but they're probably not going to do nothing with this or they got no scent or okay, their tail gets wagging. Maybe we can do something with this, you know? And, um, I mean, just the number, the sheer number of tracks is just, was just unbelievable. And, and the ones that looked the best were the ones that were old. Like you, you just know it when you look at it and you're like, Oh, that looks so, I mean, it's a big track. It's got definition. It just screams cat. Right. And, and this is the situation I was there too, but it's like, that one is the one in your mind. You're like, that's the cat we got to catch. Right. And then the, the, the dimpled in snowed in track, you can't tell anything except for a pattern. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just look at the pattern and go, that's a cat. I can't, it's, you know what I mean? And you got to look at it really close, make sure it's not a wolf or whatever, you know, like, you know, Wolverine or whatever, but you got to look at the pattern and go, that's a cat and look at the stride and try and figure out if it's a good one. Those are the tracks that you're looking at would be fresh. And so it's really, it was difficult. That was the most tracks I've ever seen. I'll be honest, Ross, I've gone up a couple of times and, and you're seeing cat track, cat track, cat track. And it's, at least for me, it's easy to focus on the ones that have definition and you're looking at the size and you're like, okay, I want to catch that one. 
one, oh, that, that one might work too, but that one over there, I really want to catch. And, and then you're like trying to figure out how to start these five, six, seven day old tracks. You know what I mean? <laughs> that you're not going to do anything with, but the ones that are probably runnable don't even look like a cat track. You know, they're just a dimple in the snow almost. It's just like ice snow, I guess. That'd be the best way to describe it. Well, and we, we knew yeah. like the, the first day that we might not have snow for the next few days. Well, by mm -hmm. me, you know, when I start hunting on older snow or know that there might not be fresh snow for a while, I get out and put boot tracks by, by them, you know, so I know that that track was there to, the day before. Well, it took me about 200 yards down that road to realize I'm not getting out and putting boot tracks next to every cat <laughs> or I might as well just yeah. get out and walk. Um, yeah. You know, so then we were kind of fighting with the same thing every day. You know, I'd see a track and be like, man, I don't remember that being there, but then you'd get dogs out and well, that was obviously there because you know, you know they're not super interested in it, but it, it just the number, the sheer number of tracks. And then you, then you follow a track off the road, you do get dogs on it and you start walking with them a little bit or whatever, knowing it's a tough track and you get you get off the road and now all of a sudden you come to an intersection with five tracks and it's like, well, shit, now where do I go? It, I mean, it, yeah. it was just unbelievable. I think it was nine days was the last snow that we had. Before we started or so, before they finally got more snow? I don't know. It was close. Whatever. I think that might have been nine days. Because I, I thought at one time they said it was 11 days now since they had snow. So Yeah. No, I think it was either eight or nine days before we got there yep. that was the last snow somewhere in there it was it was a ridiculously long enough time that that we were looking at tracks and it honestly made you um it made you think there was more cats than there was really there to be honest with you you know what i mean because there's a lot of cats but there isn't like on some of the roads i was on i'm saying 30 40 crossings within a couple miles you know what i mean like wow. it was just insane that you're like there is so many cats here. We're going to see them. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and then, um, but to cut to the, like by the third day, I think is when me and Stuart were like, we got to do something. We dragged a log across the road. You know what I mean? We actually started, I've never dragged a road. I've, I've heard they do that in like the desert, you know, drag roads and look for, and I was at the point where I was like, we got to do something. It's like, like Ross said, you can't get out and put boot tracks in every one. So I'm like, we're going to drag some shit behind my truck <laughs> and try to do something, you know what I mean? I don't care what, but we're going to try and do something. And so I think day three, I finally, by day two, I was relying on the dogs a lot more. So it was open the box and I'd let them strike. And if they struck, there'd be times I just stopped the truck, let them get out and, and see if they could get something going. And I did get a couple going that way. Um, so on, I don't know if it was day one or whatever, I had a race. No, it would be day two. So day one, we didn't hardly, we, it was like so many tracks. You were just on cloud nine. You're like, dude, this is going to be the best trip ever. Like we're going to freaking stack <laughs> them up. We're going to catch so many cats on this trip that it's going to be awesome. And all my experience in the past has always been, I got to work through the grind. You know what I mean? I got to, I, I've never had the, the Cody Lostro experience. <laughs> you know what I mean, just pull up and you start catching cats. No, I take it back. The first time we did, we, we caught, uh, three or four the fir very first time. So my very first trip, I, I did catch them right away. After that, it's been a grind. It's It's been a two or three day grind before we catch them. And so I thought in my head, I was like, dude, this is going to be one of those 
awesome trips that were just going to catch a pile of cats. And boy, was I wrong. Um, so by day two, day three, um, I started just realizing that I couldn't looking at tracks in the snow was fairly detrimental. You know what I mean? Like it, it was you're wasting time pretty much. You're wasting time. You know, you're, you're, you're getting dogs out. You're trying them on things that you can see and you're wanting to run more than the dogs could capably do anything with. And so I had to really switch my mindset to, I don't care what it looks like. I need to look at my dogs and look at their tails and look at their body language and go, that's a cat we can, we can mess with. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Even if I couldn't see the track. What, uh, uh, what was the weather like there, the temperature swings? And the reason I ask is because where we were at in the few patches of snow that were around those, those tracks, a, a week old track and an overnight track looked nearly the same. Like they just mm -hmm. didn't age. Right. Yeah. And I think the biggest reason for that is there was only like a 10 degree swing between day and night. It was mid thirties yep. in the day and mid twenties at night. And that snow just didn't change. Uh, like we found a lion track in, in the snow um, that looked like from the looks of it, those dogs should take it, tree it, no problem. Yeah. And the coldest nose dog I have, which I mean, she's cold, cold, cold would barely make a peep on it. And there wasn't another dog that we had out there that even knew that track was there other than by sight, you know? Yeah. Uh, we but that's started kind of what I, I blame or blame it on reason to whatever you want to say is that that temperature swing, there just wasn't any weather on that snow. So it stays consistent and those tracks never really aged. Yeah. When I looked at the, the thing on my truck, I would see 17, you know, the 17, 18, 19, and Ross, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where we started Fahrenheit. Cause I don't know what Celsius is, <laughs> but the, I'm not, I'm not changing my shit over Ross. So you might have the Celsius degrees cause you changed your truck over, but no, I know the temperature was still, so I was like, though. okay, 17, 18 degrees. And then we see it about 28, 29. We never even got, so we never even got really above the 32 that I noticed maybe in the three o'clock. Yeah. Hour, maybe just you know, touched it. Yeah. Yeah. Barely, but it, so it not was, much of a temperature swing then. Not either. at all. It was, it was really difficult to find an age on a track. You know what I mean? And the better they looked, I knew that they were not fresh because it was like that ice crystals. So when you stepped, you didn't have any print of a boot. It was just like snow would fluff in on itself. It just crumble. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it was like those tracks that looked good. They were made in fresher snow and just stayed that pristine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what you're mentally and and especially coming from an, when you're not there, you know what I mean? Like, so, so I don't know what the weather was doing before I got there. You know what I mean? You show up and you're at a disadvantage because all you can comprehend is what you've seen. And so you're like, okay, it snowed a little bit two days, you know, I mean, when it, when it pellets in or whatever. And all we had was the guide telling us, yeah, it hadn't snowed for nine days. And I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. You see, I wish my weather app went back and I could do, you know, go back and do some homework. It wouldn't help me any, but um, that was a challenge. And, and that's something a lot of, we don't really think about a lot of times when we're hunting our ground, we know that ground intimately. We know the conditions we know, Oh, well, two days ago it was doing this. So that was in this. And, um, that wasn't, there was none of that for us. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'd say similar experience. That's, and I think that's the attraction, right. To taking your dog somewhere new is, mm-hmm. is because of that. Like there's a lot of stuff we're not familiar with that are going to be bigger challenges. And it's just a, it's a whole different deal when it's not in your backyard and stuff you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. So by day three, I drug, I, I drug a log and, and then I thought, well, on day four, I'm like, okay, this is gonna, you know what I mean? This is it. game changer. And we didn't cut a single yeah. damn. We didn't, yeah, we didn't cut a single track that crossed our, our track. You know what I mean? Like I had it, we had it lined out and we drug, I drug two roads that had so many cat tracks on it that it was, it was really, um, disheartening by day two. You know what I mean? When you're trying to go through that many tracks, it was like, we, we stayed up there late. You know what I mean? Normally you get back at, literally we we're going to be done at two thirty-three or whatever, but I was like, no, let's go. So we both talked ourselves into dragging that stupid log. We didn't pick the right log. You know, funny part is the first half mile, dude, that drag was perfect. You know what I mean? By the time you get out and, and you're like, had some little cord or whatever that broke a couple times, by the end of it, you're like, shit, I don't care. Just whatever. <laughs> you know, the logs jumping around and bouncing. And it just doesn't look good. Like the, the second part, because you're tired, you're done. Like you, you got out. So if we had to do it again, I'd be like, make sure you get the right drag and, and put the effort in. And you're tired, but get a good drag. Don't, don't screw around and be like, oh, this will be half ass. This will work. No, no. Because about after mile 10, you don't give a shit anymore. That log's just jumping around and bouncing around and making shit worse. So you're like, oh, this is not going to work good. But um, we yeah. thought in, in, in the good areas, we slowed down to make sure we did a good drag. But um, we didn't see any tracks cross that drag on, on the on the fourth day. And that was kind of like a, a, a pucker up moment for us. Or for me, that was like, okay, there's a lot of cats here, but that doesn't mean there's 20 cats crossing the road mm-hmm. here. And you still have to have movement you know what i mean there's times where cats just don't move yeah so. for sure and i think sometimes on those drags too you know like like you mentioned getting the right the right log or tree to do it is is will make or break it yeah i know like when i was in africa and we drove drug drug roads we got the biggest leafiest tree we could versus just a, a flat log and then by the end of the drag it's just nothing but sticks right but it did the got the purpose how big of a tree did they drag? Oh, they chopped down like probably a, I don't know, 15, 12, 15 foot, big, leafy, spiky, one of them nasty trees, you know, nobody likes. They got spikes all over them and stuff. Yeah. And and drag them. I suppose, I imagine, you know, a 10 foot pine, you know, something that's got some some width to it would, yeah. would work good up there in the And snow. just tie both sides so that you drug it sideways no no from the from the stump Ooh. like directly oh, really? behind you yeah it was one, they'd that. be like wide enough to to drag a pretty big portion of the road it didn't cover all the road but enough to cut a track that would have probably been more effective than what we did we tried to draw drag one sideways and it did all right i mean it definitely cleared the middle of the truck you know where the, between the two tire tracks and it did what we needed which was did anything cross you know but yeah um I was kind of thinking that too. I was like, man, I wonder if I wouldn't drag two trees, one on each corner of the truck or, you know, I, I, who knows your mind is just like trying to over-engineer shit to <laughs> fix a problem. <laughs> it's a good reminder though, that like even in the area with lots of cats and good dogs and this, there's still challenges every time. Like it, it's not just a, a layup every time you go out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that was our experience. And then finally on day five, we got snow. So it finally snowed. We kept looking at the weather and I was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna get a little bit of snow. All we need is a quarter inch, half an inch. And we would have been, it would have been good. But, um, on day five, we finally got snow, which just gave us a reset. I mean, it was like, but it, but it was a late snow. Like we woke up and there was yeah. maybe a quarter inch. Um, and it was coming yep. down pretty good and it continued to snow till what, probably 11 o'clock or so buddy that morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you're looking at the weather and you're trying not to be too much of a pessimist. You're like, damn it. So it never snows. And then it's just going to keep snowing until the end of the day. You know what I mean? The last day where it's like, um, and, and it, it's not like a hard snow, like, you know, Colorado where you're going to drop 12 inches or 14 inches, you know, but it still is enough that it covers tracks pretty good. And it was windy too. Um, so yeah, some of those open areas, you could tell it had drifted and which was nice because it pretty much drifted everything shut. But also you're thinking how many fresh tracks am I driving by now? Because, because they're covered up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got that same now. snow X. I, I left that. That would have been Saturday on when you guys got that. We had the same, mm-hmm. same snow. Um, then we caught the links for that other kid in camp the day before. And so I left that morning and then they were going to go look for a lion but same deal, right? The snow came late. It's snowing in the morning. I'm like, ah, I'm just going to take off. Chances of him finding a lion that moved, you know, within the last hour is pretty slim. Yep. And I got like three hours down the road and I get a, tra- a picture of a big old lion they'd caught. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, they had one basically cross right in front of them. So that's the, that's the name of it though, right? If you're not out there, you can't, you can't get those opportunities. Yeah. That's what happened to me is we were driving up and literally I'm, I'm cruising and we're going through an area that's not in his, his guide area. And I look up in the, the headlights and I see this thing hop on the road and I'm like, Oh shit, that's a links. You know what I mean? And, and I'm cruising enough and it's slick enough that I start hitting the brakes. And I'm sliding, you know, mm-hmm. and this links is running right towards me on, on day five. Like l- literally I'm trying to not, kill the links with my truck you know because i'm like sliding and i'm trying to he's on my driver's side tire or whatever and i'm trying to drive a little bit to the left but not go off the road you know and and try to keep my ass in and behind me and you know what i mean it's like because i was cruising pretty good trying to to get up there and and uh as we're passing this links in slow motion you know trying not to kill it and it's like that's a nice links you know uh but it was out of the area so we couldn't we couldn't run that one and i i I felt bad radio and Ross. It's like, Ross, you're not going to believe what I just had to happen right now. <laughs> I wasn't He's surprised. like, is it in the area? I'm like, yeah. He's like, is it before the bridge or whatever? Cause that was our, one of our markers of the area. And I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's not in the spot we can, we can run it. And so, but that didn't stop us from Ross. You, you got finally got on one. Yeah. I checked the road, but yeah, I mean, we drove down every day and, Actually, it was uh, there was a little spur off of the off of the main road, and I had stopped there, and I'm like, God, it's only like a hundred yard stretch there before you you got to turn around because it's all burnt after that. You know, you're not going to find anything. And I pull up there, and I'm like, it ain't even worth driving down there. And the guide goes, Well, you might. Well, right here, you might as well drive down there. Well, I'm glad I did because right at the end of it, where I turned around, there was a smoking fresh Lynx track going across. It was snowing and there was no snow in it. And 
I was trying to get a hold of you on the radio and, and the radios worked well out there, but also there was times, you know, where I'm, where I was on one side of a mountain and you were on the other side of a mountain and mm-hmm. couldn't get a hold of each other. And, you know, you didn't, you didn't uh, get back to me or whatever. And I'm like, well, I ain't waiting for buddy's ass on this one, but I, <laughs> I text you, I sent you an inreach message, which those aren't always super reliable either to, to get yeah, right got, away. But I got that message after I was already high five. Yeah. So I saw, I knew it wasn't very big, but I'm like, man, I, I'm sending them, you know, this is our best chance. So I, I dropped them out and I don't know, they, they lined out for about 200 yards. And then I think they really did jump it. Although it was just like a jumped race right from the beginning. And they whipped a couple figure eights and they shut up for, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds. And uh, my little bit mature, more mature dog that I had with me. And she's been really good at catching cats. All of a sudden she was just pounding, leaving those circles. And I, I turned to my cousin and the guide and I said, yeah, this is just about over, I think. And she ran it for maybe a hundred yards. The other dogs filled in behind and then they just went right to treat. And still in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not going to believe it till I see it. You know, um, it went textbook, but never seen a lynx in a tree. These dogs have never put a lynx in a tree. Maybe them idiots just, maybe there's nothing in the tree, you know, and, but it was a, it was a pretty exciting walk and it was only about 250 yards off the road too, which was nice. And it was, uh, it was pretty incredible to see our first links in a tree. Then we got back to the road just yeah. in time for, for you to meet us there pretty much. Yeah, I got the, me- uh, I don't know. It must've, I must've got the message before. Cause I told Stuart, I said, yeah, they got one going. And, uh, I said, let's head over that way and just double check and make sure they don't need help or whatever. Cause my goal was, is to, to honestly, for you to try it. If, if there was somebody going to get a links, I wanted you to get it. You know, like I'm, I, I've shot a, a couple. I'm good. If I don't shoot one, I'm okay. And so we pull up there and, and I was tracking, you know, so I, I seen your dog coming out behind you. And I, I told Stuart, I said, well, I think they got one. You know, I said he would, I knew you were a hard enough hunter that your dogs would be casting out. You'd be circling you know, yeah. if, you, if you lost it. So I'm like, I think they're done. I, I think uh, they're coming out with a, you know, I said, they caught one, you know, I, I said, I think they're coming out. And sure enough, we get there and I seen the smile on your face and I'm like, oh yeah, they got one. And the best what part of that was when you was like, oh yeah, we, you didn't shoot it. You know, like, yeah, it was a small one. And that took the pressure off of me. I was like, well, if, if you're comfortable letting one walk in a tree, I'm like, he's at least had a good trip. You know what I mean? Like, okay. You know? And, uh, so that was at least a, a, a moment of relief for me that was like, all right. Ross had his cat. He, if he wanted to, he could have shot one. And it was a small one. Yeah, just like just like you said, and, Cody. It, my my goal when I went there was not to. I didn't go there to kill a cat. If I went there, ran some dogs, had fun, treed. You know, I could have left right there, and I, and I would have been just absolutely stoked and planning my next trip out there. Um, as it turns out, I was able I was able to get one with which was just kind of the icing on the cake, but that that definitely is yeah you let me turn loose with you on that one. yeah i, I waited Thank for you. you that time <laughs> yeah no well i told when i got in the truck ross i told Stuart, i said that's the best outcome for me was you catching a cat on your own with your dogs like hands down you know what i mean like i don't 
as, as much struggle as we had, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to, I didn't want my dogs on the ground on your first cat, if possible. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I ideally I like when I caught my cat, I want to, my dogs catch my cat just so I know. Yeah. It's and, just that, and then that hurdle that, loose. you know, that, that challenge that you got for yourself that you just want to be able to overcome that, you know, and know that, know that you did mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah. or you can do it. And what kind of dogs did you run? What kind of dogs do you like? I have uh, blue ticks. My my family's been breeding blue ticks for over forty that years now. Struggle, Cody. That was when he oh, shows cool. up with a box full of blue ticks. I was like, damn, this is gonna be tough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. No, yeah, my no. my family's been breeding blue ticks for over forty years. So all the the dogs that I got in my yard, you know, I hunted their grandpa, their grandma. I mean, you name it. Well, I had a mom and and then two of her pups were three of the four dogs I had. So. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's cool. And and I killed a lion over, over my dogs and obviously bobcats. So this was a, the third one I need for my cat slam. And it was, it was, yeah, it's pretty cool. Heck yeah. That's really cool. Um, Cody, what dogs do you got a question? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I got a little bit of a mixed pack, but one common theme is, um, I run, I run quite a bit of running dogs. Um, so I've got straight, some straight running dogs and then some, some crosses, uh, half tree and half, half running that I've got from Mike Kemp, um, that I really like. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I like to hunt and that's, that's what I brought up there. Okay, cool. Um, and then, so the, the next part of that is we caught your cat that we ended up taking. And so R- Ross calls me and. He says, I got a track up here. Actually, I think I'm, so pretty, I'm another pretty sure out. I just said, buddy, get your ass down here. And you knew oh, exactly yeah. what yeah, it meant. You You're like, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah. He said, get, said, get up here. And so we we're on there. I'm like, all right, we better go. We weren't too far behind. And you give me the, the kilometer marker. So we head up there. And um, there's a decent track there. You know what I mean? Right crossing the road. And, and it's heading right in this blowdown. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit anxious of my last experience of the way my dogs ran across blowdowns and I had to call them back. You know what I mean? Like when they, when they line out across that blowdown, they're normally going to another area, you know? And, and so in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh shit, this could be another one of those situations. Cause the way the cats look going, you know, you're like, oh, okay, we can, uh, who knows what's over there. I mean, we got a long ways to go before we can find anything sort of tree worthy in that area. And so I think, uh, looked at you and, and we were like, Oh, we're just going to dump them. So we just dumped the boxes, mixed the packs and, and, uh, they took off and, you know, you can see them crank up in that blowdown. And I was like, yeah, we're going to get this one going pretty good. And I think even we dropped Stuart's dog. So we, I don't know, we had 11 dogs. We, this is the last day. I was like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like we, we could screw it up or not screw it up, but we're going to just, we brought some dogs to run. And, uh, they went up in that blowdown and turned to the right and started parallel on the road. And I actually think I seen the cat, you know, I seen a, a piece of it, you know, something that caught my eye. And I, I told you, I said, I think I seen the cat through the opening of course the dogs went right through that spot and it crossed the road, went through and, and went through another little draw on a drainage. And it was like, well, it was just on fire. Those dogs were just screaming up there. And I can't tell if they made a little loop right there or if they overran the track. Mm-hmm. You know, there's enough dogs there that I'd really want to go back and, and I, I didn't, and I, 
I don't have time to, but I'd, I'd want to go back and look at some of the certain dogs on that track to see with that many dogs, how if I, I kind of suspect that maybe they, they overran a little bit, made a loop and come back to locate, you know, because we're talking probably, you know, 40 yards, maybe 50 yards with that many dogs and that much pressure. I'm like, or, or that cat made a loop and, and treed right on its circle. You know, the dogs are just right on top of it. I can't, I don't know which way that went, but I can tell you when I parked the truck on the crossing, cause you went around and came in from just above them. Yeah. Like a 90 degree to the tree. I actually walked the cat track in because when it, when it crossed, I was like, oh, let me walk this cat track in. And there was not a dog track on that cat track when I walked in. Cause I was like 200 yards from where the tree was, from where the road was. And, and those dog tracks, when I walked up them, yeah, they were probably 15 yards off of that cat track to the point where I was like, oh shit, you know I mean? Did we catch a different cat, you know, or, you know, they were treeing. So I'm like, uh, that many dogs, you just never know. You know what I mean? Is, is somebody pull a false tree? Did, you know what I mean? Did something wrong happen? And, and this cat is peeling off to the left and, and I'm like, so I just stayed on the cat. I'm like, I'm walking this cat out because if we have a, I'm just used to having messes. I'm like, if we have a, a screw up, I want to have a starting point and I'm about ready to start calling dogs off there. And then that cat slowly veers off and starts heading right towards the, the sound of the tree. And that's when I started going like, okay. And so I, what it tells me is whenever that cat was there, I mean, those dogs were just flat moving. I mean, they, they weren't tracking they weren't trailing they were on it you know i mean like they were just head up you know um wind in it or whatever you know in that scent channel and the closer i got the more i knew that we had the same cat and and it was it was a good experience so you said it was a little windy that day too didn't you Mm -hmm. yeah so you might have had some wind drift on that scent too that they were just yeah yeah downwind hair some something like that which is I, I don't get a, I don't do that enough. You know, I don't follow the track right before the tree to see that, you know, so that was kind of a, an interesting topic to me. It's kind of like you're talking about, you're always in the back of your mind questioning, you know, do I trust those dogs? Do I trust those <laughs> I ain't going to believe it until like, I, I see it. Yep. The yeah. The track's going to the left and the dogs are to the right. And, and, and you're playing, you know, a million things like, did they change the cat? Did this cat slip out? Are those stupid dogs, you know, false treeing. I mean, I, I, you know, just, a, you just start questioning yourself. And uh, those are just situations that, you know, that's the cool part about this is you see these little things sometimes and these, you know, if you get out of the truck and go look and you, you don't just run to whatever you kind of get to in, inspect a little piece of history. You know what I mean? And you get to look at that and go, okay, this is what this cat was over here. The dogs were over there man, I wish I could have been sitting on this stump and watched this happen in real life. You know what I mean? Like you, you got to look at it in the snow and tell the story, but. Um, and when you get just, to see those things too, I think you do start trusting your dogs more, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you understand, Hey, it didn't look quite like I thought it should, but they still got the job done in the end. And they exactly. were confident about you, it the whole time. <laughs> you know, it wasn't dumb luck. Yeah. They knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they were tired from getting their asses kicked for four days. So <laughs> that always helps. You know, having tired dogs is kind of an asset in in some respect, I think. I always like to knock the wind out of the dogs a little bit. It didn't pay um, off on our third they track. They seemed to hunt better. No, no. <laughs> 
we overloaded a track at the end and and a, a little one that just did some figure eights and some some honestly some there was not even big trees in there and boy we just made a mess out of that <laughs> quick I don't know what happens <laughs> things sure happen that's a, one thing it seems like i don't know if you guys have the same experience but you got to pay for it one way or the other right like you're either going to get your ass kicked and then you'll get one to go like it should or you're going to get one that goes like it should the next one's going to going to kick your butt yeah so a lot of guys ask um and i'll I want each one of you to to give your thoughts on it. So what is if somebody's like, I want to go lynx hunting, right? What what do they run like? What what are you gonna tell somebody with their dogs? Um I'll start with you, Ross. Ross, what would you if, if somebody said, Hey, I really want to go catch a lynx, what kind of dogs do you think they should have? You know, uh, traveling you had a good thing, but what are some key things, takeaways that they that that you would ask them well i i think i mean i would say cats in general you know if you're a guy that just run bears and and just runs bears and doesn't doesn't run cats and your dogs aren't used to that tight circling you're probably going to struggle but i think they they run a lot like the bobcats in my country do i mean you know we'll get on a i'll get on a bobcat and that thing will circle in a 200 yard 200 yard radius you know for hours um and then every once in a while they might they might line out and try to get somewhere else and but they're always going to want to go back to that circle and um you know so i think if you if you got dogs that are used to that tight circling aspect um i i think they're going to transition pretty well to it um yeah the country's a lot different you know the hills and and whatnot it's going to take a little little acclimating probably for your dogs but but uh you know i think the lynx run a lot like a bobcat doing our in our country okay cody i would totally agree with ross uh, if i was going to compare them to anything it'd be a, a bobcat um and i think bobcats run somewhat differently in different parts of the country uh here we have a lot of rock piles that we hunt those bobcats in so it's constant i mean circling duck and diving into places the dogs can't go and they got to figure out, you know, use their brains to get around where they where they should be. Um, obviously, with these links looping and circling like a bobcat, that's very similar. But navigating that blowdown too, uh, some of them cats can run on blow blowdown and never touch the ground. Uh, so uh, yeah. that being said, though, I, I would definitely use one that's got some speed and some brains. Um, but uh, depending on the type of tracks you're running too, obviously you need plenty of nose power. We had to had to have some cold nose dogs to get, get those cats started without, uh, without good snow. Yeah. I'd agree with that. And, and you guys have said that the circling and the, the things, and I think the turns. So when you, when, for me, when my question for you was when they overran that track, you know, they can overrun it, but they got to fix it mm -hmm. fast. And, and that's where I see the links get caught is when the dogs turn, the I think the lynx is not used to dogs making the turns. You know what I mean? So a lot of dogs don't make those turns. I remember the big cat that we caught. I told Stuart, you know, it, it, it did a little J hook, and people asked me what they run like, and I go, well, it can it can run like an easy bobcat or it can run like a hard bobcat. You know what I mean? I have had them just go up, and and I don't know if it's the dogs that make it easy, because 
when you say you're running down that road, you don't know if that cat was on that road or if those dogs just were driving right that day. And they hung, when that cat hung right, those dogs were like, they didn't give it that 100, 200 yard extra. And so that cat was like, oh shit, they're right here. You know what I mean? Where he was used to being like, and he's going to slip across the road behind the dogs and your dogs didn't give him that opportunity. I don't know if that's what happens or not. You know, I really, sometimes I want, I wish you could have a collar on the cat and the dogs. I've seen mm-hmm. it with Bart with, with lions, but lions are just so different than, than small cats. Um, and I've seen lions do that in, in that study with Bart, where we had a lion that would duck in and the dogs would almost embarrassingly overrun a lion track, you know, um, and I had one of my dogs that when I watched that lion turn and almost did a, it, it wasn't a 180, but it was a, a damn 170. You know what I mean? I watched on the, on the GPS. I'm like that cat, that, that lion just did a 170 and my dogs just like, <laughs> and they went about 25 yards before they turned. And I remember thinking that's going to screw my dogs up. Cause they were just flying on that cat, that cougar. And, um, I think, at that time, my dogs were really dialed in and turning good. You know, um, I've had situations where they're not so dialed in and turning good, but those turns is what changes the equation on, I think, links. If, the, if that's my opinion on it, is if if you're running a lion dog, the lions don't generally turn that sharp and that quick, and so once they get jumped, m- most of the time you got to a good straight line in a tree, you know, to some extent, there's always a little hook at the end or something like that, you know, maybe where they try to do it on a, on a bobcat or a, a lynx, especially the lynx. I think they definitely make a few more turns before they decide to tree and dogs that give them an opportunity that it increases your, your jumped race. So that's what yep. I would think too. Totally. And you wonder too, on some of those deals, how close those cats are allowing the dogs to get before they do tree, right? One might be a little more skittish in trees before they get close. And one might be more bold and those dogs actually got eyes on it before it goes up. Yeah. My second trip. So there was a, um, I had my son with me when I killed my Tom and we, we killed a, a Tom. It was like a mile and a half race. Did some figure eights in a tree and we, we ended up getting that one. That was a good race. Well, we were coming back and I got a strike out of the truck and uh, Stuart still had a tag so we could still go. And so we turned loose on that one and that cat uh, did some zigzagging back, but never got more than 20 yards off the road. And we watched across the road a couple times, like in front of the truck, behind the truck. And it was impressive because the dogs would be screaming down the road within 20 yards, 25 yards of the road. I mean, right there, like you're literally listening to these dogs scream down a track going, I will say from left to right. Right. And then all of a sudden, right behind those screaming dogs, you see the cat cross the road, like <laughs> in a 20, you know, in a 15 yard. And you're like, how in the hell? And the dogs are still going backwards. And, and I want to call the dogs and be like, Hey, it's right here. But I, that's not, I just let the dogs go most of the time. Some hunters really want to jump in there and be like over here and yell. And, and, and I just find that that's not, I just got to yell too much. And my dogs don't listen to me on that tight of a jump race. Like I'm like, whatever, like maybe there's two cats. I just don't know what's going on. So I watched them turn. I come back and they come right back across that road. And we caught it within 200 yards after that, you know, the dogs were really making ground up, but in that little micro 
situation, it was just one of those things. I was like, wow, that cat had, I had four dogs. Stuart had four dogs. They were not tight, tight together. You know, our packs were a little bit separate, but that cat slipped in between eight dogs in a 40 yard little circle and looked pretty damn cool and collected as it walked across. <laughs> that kind of flipped me <laughs> off as it crossed the road. Like, yeah, yours, they're going backwards. Just so you know, they're, they're going to, yeah. so, um, it's just neat. It, uh, honestly, lynx hunting, um, the more you get to do it, the more cool things I, I have seen with the links as far as tight circles, you know, a cool thing. And I probably shouldn't, I don't want to say this, but a couple guys from Montana are up there right now. They got to watch the links kill the Bob or the rack rabbit. And then they caught the links. Yeah. How cool is that? How does that even happen? Where they, they surely they weren't trailing it when it, when it killed. The no, rabbit. no, I think they were, uh, just drove down the road and there's a rabbit or something. The link jumps. I I'm not sure. I haven't heard the full story It's just all on in reach messages. But basically, yeah, I, I got a message Stuart. Yeah, two of two is done. They got they're done. A uh, couple guys from Montana, which I'm not saying their names because I don't know if they want. Like, I don't like talking about people's unless they actually give me permission. But, anyways, the short in reach message I got was watch to kill the rabbit. Then we caught the lynx. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I just told Stuart. I said, "How much for that experience? Like, how much do I got to pay for that to happen?" Oh, I got to. Crafty you guide. could, you just need uh, to stay up there and hunt with them all. Yeah, you season. could see how it, um, how it would happen. I mean, you almost saw that, you know, with that lynx on the road, and it, it, he was likely yeah. after a rabbit, but yeah, he probably was. Yeah, because he jumped out. He was he was definitely kind of like loping out, looking for something or running after yeah. something. So hmm. definitely a cool experience, though, up, up there. I mean. Or anywhere. You get out and get to hunting, stay in the woods, man. You get to see a lot of cool stuff. Are you going to go back, Cody? So the last topic, yeah. Yeah, I'm planning on it. We're going to maybe get it. There was supposed to be a couple more of us going up there this year. And just through unfortunate circumstances, I ended up being the only one that was able to make it. So hopefully next year the the group will be I'm definitely going back, but I don't know if it'll be next year. It's going to take me 365 days to forget about that drive. At least long <laughs> enough that I'm going to be too late for getting my deposit in for next, getting my de- deposit in for next year. But, uh, man, after, that's understandable. After, after being ways. home and watching the videos and looking at the pictures again, I'm like, you know what? I could probably go hop in that truck right now and be back there in a few days. <laughs> mm-hmm. They need to get a jet so somebody can take the dogs and then you know, I mean, ride the jets. I really want like a W jet that i can just roll my truck in and just like <laughs> truck everything you know that's what i really want I, i'm like i'll never make it but man if i had a dream if that was going to be if i ever want a billion dollars you would know it was just like my truck <laughs> would roll into the back of a, a c-36 whatever the military jets are you know what i mean i'd be like roll one of them in strap it down dogs and it'd be a big old big old c whatever those big things are that carry my truck i already got fe- so you're saying <laughs> You wouldn't tell anybody, but there'd be signs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I already got feelers out for somebody that's uh, that's willing to take my truck and dogs up there, and I'll hop on a plane and meet them. Yeah. So, if a guy, so here's the other, the last topic I want to touch on is um, there's an aspect that, and I don't know how many how many guided hunts have you been on, Cody? 
Uh, not many in my life. Uh, I went, I was guided in Africa, obviously when I went there earlier this year. Um, mm -hmm. and before that, I mean, the last guided hunt I was on was crap 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah. How about you, Ross? I don't know that I've ever been on a guided hunt to be honest with you. I've, I've done a little, some guided fly fishing trips in Montana. Um, and I also owned an outfitter. Uh, I was a partner in a, in an outfitter in, in Montana for several years with one of my friends out there. So I, yeah, you know, had a, had a pretty good feel of how the, how the whole guiding and outfitting gig, gig rolls, yeah. you know? And I never, I had not either. I mean, this was, and so the, the technicality of going on, so if you're, if you're a hound guy and you're like, man, I want to go on a lynx hunt, you have to have a guide to do it in Canada. And, and so anywhere. I want to touch on that yeah, a little bit. If you well, Anywhere? if you want to go lynx hunting, the only place you can go mm -hmm. is British Columbia, and in, in, in North America, oh, really? well, maybe Alaska, but I'm not even sure about Alaska. But uh, British Columbia is the only place that you can hunt lynx. There, are other provinces in Canada okay. you can trap them. Yeah, with dogs. Other yeah. provinces in Canada you can trap them and whatnot, but that's that's the only place. And like as you said, buddy, you yeah. need you need to hire a guide. Yeah. Or there, I think there's a, a with family and like there, I, I've known some people that have family or whatever and can I don't know the the next to kids stuff yeah yeah assuming and that's a, a a challenging thing it was for me especially because the first time I went hound guys are we're we're not we're not guided we're, we're not guideable <laughs> that's the best way to do Stuart every time I get there he goes rule number one buddy listen to your guide and I'm like I suck at that rule and Stuart like I really do um we're just not guideable like we we're stepping into a world that is um different for 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 hunters as, as houndsmen we normally run the ship we're 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 the boss the dogs, dogs listen to us we're trying to help and and we are essentially the guides in in our realm of the world, you know what I mean? So, um, that is challenging. And, and I don't know what your experience, Cody, I'd probably talk to Kelly and be like, how, how was Cody? You know what I mean? Because when things happen with the dogs, we're really comfortable in the woods. You know what I mean? Like it, it, in a good, I'll, I'll give you a good story on my first hunt when I didn't quite fully understand it was me and Don were up there and Stuart and his guide, and so we were hunting and the dogs just were trailing down and they were just cold trailing. But me and Don just hopped on my truck and we're like, let's go on this other point and listen to them from here, you know? And, um, you know, that was a big deal to them because now we're up there without a guide. You know what I mean? Even though we're in the vicinity, but because we hopped in my truck and, and we just took off, we're just like, oh, let's go over to this corner and listen to them. Cause that's what we would have done in Oregon. If you come here in Oregon where we're hunting, Dude, if you're sitting there BSing on the road, like, or listening, me and Don are like, yeah, the cat's going this way. Let's go over here. So we hop in there and you got a truck. We're not leaving you, but we're not going to be like, hey, Cody, could you get my truck? Well, you know, like, or I'm going to tell you, shut up. I'm going to be like, I'm just going to take off and you're going to learn either to stop talking or keep up with me. And so anyways, that little situation and Stuart was cool about it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't even chew me out at the time, but I learned the more I've been around him that that was a really uncomfortable situation for him because if a, if a conservation officer would come up that point, they would have been like, where's your guide? 
and you're two on one. So you can't have more than two guys, two hunters per one guide. And so because we both had links tags in our pocket, well, well, you know, the, the technicalities, he's just like, you can't do that. And it was a situation where Don was just going to walk into the dogs to go see what the hell was going on. Cause we were like, this is bullshit. This, you know, one of them situations where you're looking at your dogs and you're going, what the hell are you guys doing? Like figure this shit out. This is not how we act. And, and I remember Stuart told him, get your pack on and get in there. You know what I mean? And, and he told the guide that now I, I had happened to be just in the vicinity to hear Stuart tell his guide that, that he was like, you need to get in there and get in with that hunter right now. And that was the, the moment that I realized, okay, after some reflection that it's challenging for a guide to take houndsmen with them. You know what I mean? Because we are hard headed. We know what we're doing. We get emotional about our dogs. When things go wrong, we, we may throw a little fit and climb in there and be like, you dogs, you know, cause we're running the ship. We want to catch that cat. And that's a, a big pressure to a guide to try to, to, to outfit somebody like that. Whereas normally it's just some rich lawyer. That's like, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do, you know, they don't have a clue, but we go in there with a whole different set of tool sets and a different mentality. Um, so I, I want to just touch on that. And I just talked a lot about it, but, and I don't know what your experience Cody was, or if you even thought about that before you went, but. Well, yeah, you know, I, honestly was that that whole deal i didn't even know that you had to have a guide in bc uh-huh. as a as a non-resident i was basically going to hunt with kelly because we know each other right yeah but but that is you're totally right the legality of it and they're a lot stricter there than than we are here in the states right so if i'm guiding somebody here and i tell them hey i need you to walk over here and i'll meet you here, whatever it is right the whole time we're out they're they're under my authority and I can tell them to do what this and that and what I want. But up there, that's something I realized too, is basically you have to be within eyesight of your guide yeah. at all times. Um, the Canadian, the Canadian, uh, they call them COs. What'd you say? Uh, conservation officer. Conservation officer. Yeah. Um, yeah. They said, if you get caught without your guide, basically within eyesight, you're, you're, you guys are in bad shape. Yep. Um, and, and you won't be hunting in Canada no more. You know, one of the the things is if you get a ticket, you won't hunt in Canada and that guide could lose his license. Yeah. Yeah. So we definitely don't want to screw any of that up for these, for these guys by just being hard headed. And I think it's tough in, in my personal opinion to, to bring a guy with his own dogs, it ought to, it ought to cost more. And I hate to say that, uh, for the fact that that's what I like to do. Uh, I, I like the fact that guy, you know, and it's no fault. I, I, I was the same way. Like I'm not, when I say this, I'm like, but hound guys, they, they, they expect, they think they're going to get the discount because they got their own dogs. And, you know, that would be one thing if you call your, your cousin up and you're like, I can catch the line. You just gotta, you know, show me an area, but up in BC or, you know, as a, as a guide, I, and it took me years to really realize this, but the clients that aren't having dogs, you know what I mean? So let's just take, there's me and Ross up there. Right. And then there's two other clients that I don't know if they're lawyers or doctors or whatever, but they're up there paying clients for, for, for their, so they caught a cat on the first day and the second day, and they were on a plane the end of the second day going home. You know what I mean? So, so that first guy was a one day hunt. 
and he was ready to go home after one day. So like, you know, uh, Barry was the guide and he got a cat. And, and so a hound guy that's looking for the discount, we would have caught a cat the first day. We'd be like, yeah, we're still here for two, three, four, we're, we got five <laughs> days left. Let's go catch a couple more cats. That guy could be chilling out on day two, get the same money. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And you don't need the discount. He's, he's, he's going to give a good tip. He was happy. He's on a plane. He's out of your hair. He's on the way. The hound guy, uh-uh. <laughs> on day one, we're like, let's do, let's do that again. <laughs> we're going to hunt all five days really hard. And so a lot of times hound guys don't realize that we're just a whole different level of hunt than, than most of the other hunters out there. Absolutely. If you realistically look at all those things, taking a guy with his own dogs that wants to hunt every single day all the way through the allotted time is a lot more work to take on for a guide. Yeah. Uh, and that's something you don't think about. You're like, Oh, I got my own dogs, right? Like he doesn't have to do this and that, but no, it's more work. I know personally, like I would, I would struggle with somebody I didn't know wanted to come hunt his dogs. And I've got to basically follow this guy yeah. and his dogs around and hope it's not a shit show. That's exactly days. what I was just yeah. going to say. I mean, I, you know, I guide some guys on Bobcat hunts and whatnot here and if I had somebody that wanted to come and bring their own dogs and I had to ride with them and leave my own dogs at home, I'd be like, there ain't enough money in the world, buddy. <laughs> like I am not zero yeah. chance. I'm going to go do something else. I'm not wasting my time doing that. So, and, and most of those guides have their own dogs, you know, I mean, they, they have to yeah. because, um, yeah, they just have to. And yeah, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do it I, if I were them. I know Stuart has his, his Lynx guides and, and, and a few of them refuse. They're like, Hey Stuart, no, no offense. But if, if a guy wants to bring his own dogs, you got, I don't, I don't, I don't want to work that day. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's, that's the day I don't want to work. And I, I can respect that. You know what I mean? Those guys, the guides that are hunting for links aren't doing it for the couple hundred dollars a day that they're getting paid. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just an incidental. Some of these guides are they're retired or whatever, and they do it on the side. And so for them, it's about running their dogs. You got to think of it in that respect that it's, it's, it's more challenging for, for Stuart to find somebody to sit in a truck for five days that on a lynx hunt, you know, so either you get a guy who has the guide license but has no experience with links, which is fine with me. You know what I mean? As long as I know the area decent enough that I'm okay with that. Or you get a, a dog guy that knows links, knows how to help you get the dogs. But those guys are hard, you know, because I mean, they're looking at, at things like, man, I sure wish I had my dogs right now. Like we'd catch this one. You know what I mean? There's times where it's like, there's no reason not to catch this links. And then you mess that links up because that's what you're going to do. You know, if you're coming from, the states and you don't you don't tree a bunch of them you know I, I always tell people like he looks at you like i'd be done right now that lynx would have been caught my dogs would have done good on it we would have caught it we would have treated it we would have shot it i'd be done but today because your dog's messed up i gotta come back and do this again this afternoon and then i gotta do it tomorrow morning and how many more times do i gotta put your dogs on a lynx that they don't catch for you to be successful and so we're really asking those guides to work a lot harder sometimes than for, for us with dogs than with somebody who's not having dogs. You know what I mean? So for sure. And I think, uh, 
the the one the one aspect of that 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 may be a, a fortunate i guess for my situation with kelly too is like he's a he's a hound guy right like mm-hmm. and we're both in the same deal like we just want to hunt yes yeah. he does this for a living um but regardless whether i'm here or not he's going to be out there catching you know hunting links so uh, yeah it just kind of works out you know you get those those situations like that when two guys are kind of aligned at the same thing or it's just and i think that's dogs. probably the takeaway from this if somebody's wanting to do this is and this is the story of life right is it's the relationship that makes this possible for the most part you know what i mean like if you're just calling up a guide and you're going what's your price i got my own dogs you know what i mean what, what's the price that phone call you just got to realize that when you make that phone call to that guide that guy this is what that guide's thinking okay do you got really good dogs? Do you not got really dogs? Who am I going to get to sit with your ass for, for five hours, for five days? You know what I mean? And you know, I mean, it's, it, those are just the questions that you may not realize as you're on the one side looking at the, the, the money, because it is expensive. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, five, six grand or whatever for a lynx hunt, because that's what these guys make a living on. This is their, their profession. And we're stepping into a, realm that is not normal like i don't i have never done the guided hunts before this you know what i mean before I, I i met Stuart and kind of got into this it's just something different so that's what i really want to make sure we touch base on is you're kind of in in the other thing is is make sure you're tipping you know what i mean because there's the cook there's you know the your guide so just make sure that when you step into this you're in a different realm and your, your peers are different, whether doctors, there's lawyers, there's whatever that, um, that's what these guys profession is. So one of the things is the cook, you know what I mean? Like, and luckily Stuart's open and honest enough with me that I, I didn't catch some of these things. Cause I, I wasn't in this world, but he'd be like, Hey buddy, make sure you take care of the cook, you know? And I'm, I'm like, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And that's why I like, told Ross is like, Hey, make sure you take care of, you know, Shelly, you know what I mean? She, she does a lot of work and that's her job is making sure that we had our linens there in the, in the cabin when we got there and, and dinner was made and all that kind of stuff. And just like you tip at a restaurant, sometimes guys don't realize it's like, Oh yeah, I already paid for this. You know what I mean? This, this, this wrapped everything together. And it's like, no, you go to the restaurant, you still got a tip, you know what I mean? And, and it's just courtesy. So some of those things, I really just want to make sure that I take the opportunity that if you're going to come up there um, as a, as another hound guy that had to learn that the hard way, you know, think about those things because we don't, we're used to running the show and we're just like, yeah, whatever. And we can go catch our own cat. We, we, we have pride in doing it ourselves. And, and then we step in because we need the guide. We want to make sure we don't disrespect that profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those uh, basically pl- count on uh, uh, bringing some extra, some extra dough beyond yeah. what your hunt costs to, to tip those people that are providing your, your nice, warm, fuzzy experience where you're not having to go hungry and sleeping in a cold yeah. place. Especially yeah. if you might want to go back. Don't run off with them. 
Yeah. You want to go back and, and don't run away from your guide running in the woods because that freaks them out whenever, <laughs> when they can't see you, <laughs> not because they're worried about you, but because they're worried about their own job and losing their guidelines. Cody. So let me ask you, what, what was your, um, what happened to your cat after you got it? Um, as far, what's the process for you getting that home and, and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, honestly, they're, they're handling most of it up there. I don't know the process as far as getting the CITES permit and everything for, for shipping it, but they'll handle that paperwork. We, we skinned it and uh, salted it. They'll get the CITES done. They have a inspection like we have to do with our lines and bobcats here too. And then it'll ship, uh, ship to the taxidermist. I assume that's probably the same same deal or did you leave your your yours up there? uh yeah that's pretty much the same deal for me we, uh i think stuart must have a taxidermist like a local guy there that he works with that's actually going to do the skinning and salting and all that and um then he'll ship it down um he'll ship it down to my taxidermist and once again all that you know that wasn't included in it either so um yeah. i just want yeah, make sure. Yeah, I want people that. to realize that if they think they're going to go up there, whack a cat, tie it to the back of their truck, and head home, that's that's probably not <laughs> going to happen. Um, you know, there, there's there's probably going to be a process involved that'll that'll cost you a little bit more money. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, a really good point, Ross. Is ask about that process of what what taking care of the cat, you know, those types of things. Is, is that included? Is it not? Does he have, you know, so Stuart has a process. Every, I'm, I don't know what Kelly's process is, but, you know, making sure that they know that that process is. And, and I'm the same way. I don't want to deal with this. It's kind of like taking your, your DUI friend up there. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get up to the border and be like, Oh yeah, you can't come in. The last thing I want to do is show up with a cat at the border and be like, you don't have your paperwork affairs. And I know, um, just talk. I don't know who you're having to, but I was talking to Phil Susie. He came out here fishing with me and we had just been talking and he had that go up and he'll go pick up a bunch of cougars and, and links and stuff and cats from, from Canada. And he'll import them, you know, across and do the CITES permit. And he says, sometimes that is just a lot of time. It'll take him, you know, 10 hours because he's got to get this paperwork and that paperwork and call this, you know, office or whatever. And, um, I don't want that. Like, I don't want that at the border for them to be like, well, do you have this paperwork? And I'm like, no. And then, then you're stuck. You have, you have this links with you. You can't take a cross. You can't leave it. You know? So I don't know what the process is. I'm not saying you can't do it, but for me, the risk is pretty dang high to get stuck at the border in a paperwork mess that is not done by people who do it all the time. Like that, that's where I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm out. Mm -hmm. It's like the moral of the story this whole time. Be squared yeah. away. Make sure your eyes are dotted <laughs> yeah. and your T's are crossed. Yep. Yep. Well, I think we've covered. Is there anything that you guys, I, I, at some point, Cody, I want to get you back on. I want to talk about that, that leopard hunt. We got two hours, so we probably should, should wrap this up, but I want, I want to talk about your leopard hunt. And, and the last thing I want to just a real quick question on is you've done, give me your, your history, your career history. And when did you get into dogs? Just the short rundown. And I want to, I want to know what, what you think is a positivity out of that, out of your career. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. The quick rundown is, uh, um, I've been a cowboy bull rider my whole life. It's a professional bull rider, had a successful career, won a world title. And, uh, during that time started 
hunting lions and and bobcats with uh, friends of mine that had that had their own dogs but i was always on the road so i never had any of my own um that was i guess started like 2008 um Mm -hmm. when i officially retired in 2017 i think i don't know all the numbers run together anymore um I had time, right? So I got my own dogs and, uh, and started hunting myself and, and just, that's pretty much kind of scheduled my life around that. Now, the way I make a living and everything, it frees me up to be able to, uh, to run these dogs all winter and, and most of the, you know, whenever I get yeah. a chance. So right. it's turned in, honestly, the dog saved my life. Uh, when I had to quit riding bulls, I was in a bad spot mentally. And, and, uh, what do you mean by that? Um, like I, I've worked, I was passionate. Like I loved riding bulls, right? That's all mm-hmm. I ever dreamed of doing. That's all I love to do. I mean, I love to do other things, but as far as what drives me every day to be a better human being, that was it. Yeah. And when that's all of a sudden gone one day. So your uh, identity was in that, that bull riding, like you, that was your identity not, or not identity, but passion, right? Okay. Like I'm who I am separate from riding bulls or dogs or anything like that. But there's those things like our desires, right? I feel like always kind of give us a direction for the purpose of our lives. And it had always been, it always been bull riding. And then to an extent it still is because I'm still coaching uh, the professional bull riders teams, which is another story that they just started a couple of years ago. But being able to dive into something like that with the dogs, that's challenging physically, mentally, uh, there's always something to get better at. You know, you've never actually perfected anything. There's always another level. I could, I ended up diving off into that, uh, just like I did with the bull riding. Okay. And, um, I mean, like when I say it saved my life, it literally saved my life. I didn't, I, I was a mess. So, hmm. so that transition, uh, you know, is just basically that, that passion of, of devoting myself to, to being the best I can possibly be at this thing. Which, which dog, like if you go back, which dog, I always ask people, and so you're fairly green in the dogs as far as you know, like what six years, I, I don't know, which I don't mean that negatively, but the old timers, I always say what one dog, like what dog was it that, that started to, that changed you? Um, man, I honestly, I, I got to go way back because uh-huh. I've raised working dogs my whole life. Me and my dad raised Chesapeake's for hunting waterfowl when I was a kid. And then I raised cattle dogs for quite a few years. And then now it's just hounds. But we had a dog when I was a little bitty named Hannibal that um, that was just a big, stout, smart, working son of a gun. And he was so, you know, just the definition of a working dog, right? Like he loved yeah. his job so much that that's what what fascinated me with working dogs was that that first dog that I remember us raising that uh, that Chesapeake. Yeah. And and since then, the, the fascination with working dogs has just stuck. Yeah, it. it it's incredible like hearing the story and that's what is so neat about the hound community and hounds is people don't realize how much of a part of a light our life you know that things can change you know what i mean like the you, you're talking about you were on this trajectory of what you do and you still do part of that you know it sounds like training and stuff but this has kind of been like a little veer off it's like hey you know like you say like it saved your life you know, whatever road it took you on and i don't even know the background of that story but these dogs made you take that right when you you were on this bad road and it's like yeah i'm gonna hang a right right here and and that's the same with me i go back into meeting my wife and the business and my whole story my whole life story the reason the reason i'm talking to you right now is because of 
dogs. You know what I mean? And, and I just, sometimes I reflect on that and people don't realize on the outside, you know what I mean? But like, oh, these dogs, the dog, man, you don't understand. These dogs have, have made life changes that the reason we're sitting here today right now is because of dogs. And, and that's a pretty, for me, that's a, it's my life. I mean, I, I, I got my kids, my, I'm not saying they're more important in my life, but I'm saying almost every facet of what I do today was because of a dog. And that's not for everybody, but it's just amazing to me when you say that dogs saved your life. I, I believe. Yeah, that, that I, I would. Yeah, that's, that's cool to hear that. Cause like you said, the average like deer and elk hunter just don't understand that it's a, it, it's not a hobby. I mean, it is a lifestyle, especially if you want to be any good at it. Um, even when it's not mm -hmm. season, I mean, the dogs are still in the front of my mind, you know, I need to exercise them. Obviously you got to feed them every day. Um, and yeah, although I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, that, that, that they saved my life. Um, cause I've, it's all I've ever known, but to think about now, like if I didn't have them, like, I don't know what, what the hell would I do every day? <laughs> what would I think about? You know, I mean, it's just, they, they just encapsulate your life so much. Um, you know, when you're in it, it's, yeah, it, it's just something that a lot of other, a lot of people can't relate to. Um, you know, unless you, yeah. unless you do it. Yep. You know, it's funny, you guys listening to this, you can't see what we see, but as he was, as Ross was talking there, a dog leg, a hind leg, I believe just randomly appears <laughs> in the screen. Yeah. She wants her belly rubbed right now. This is, this is a bird dog. So <laughs> a GSP, is that what I, yeah, I, I got two short hairs too. So nice. My wife is trying to get me into more of the bird dogs and she likes hounds, but um, because it's more engaging on the hunt, you know what I mean? And, and messing with this Brittany we got and hunting is it's fun, but it it's for me, it, there's still no comparison to the hounds. You know what I mean? Like I, I love the mountains and the hounds and, and the challenge I think is what's really cool for me. But um, yeah, those bird dogs are, as a whole different game. Mm -hmm. so. Any, any working dog is cool, but I think, yeah, the wildlife related working dogs are the best. And so that Chesapeake, was that just like your buddy? I mean, just have a strong connection that, that that's where you bonded with a dog and you, when you got back into it, you could, you just enjoy dogs. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just, just like everybody, right. Everybody likes dogs and, and, and stuff, but that, that particular dog, I just, I just remember the single mindedness and the passion. It was like, you know, like we all are, are familiar with a dog just being obsessed with his job, mm -hmm. but that was at a young age, you know, the first time I, I realized like, that's all this dog wants to do. Yeah. And that's, and, and really like, that's how I approached riding bulls. And I, maybe that's why I relate to the working dogs like I do, because like, I can see that in them, that passion, that single mindedness to do whatever it takes to accomplish the mm -hmm. goal. I'm, I'm guessing in the bull riding, I mean, you, I mean, you're a coach, right? So I don't want to take your free advice, but <laughs> I have no desire. I'm like, Oh, yep. Pass that. I'm out. You know, maybe there was one time I would have been like, like rough myself up and say, I'm going to hop on one to do it. But now I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to hurt myself. <laughs> um, but is that single minded? Like, is that a, a, a key for what's the number one thing on a, on a bull? Like if you're going to tell somebody, I mean, what's the, what's the challenge on the bull? What's, what's the biggest challenge? Oh, 
there's a thousand of them, but the biggest, the biggest thing I feel like is desire, right? Like you want to be there. Mm-hmm. You want to be there. Um, and, and that, that desire goes hand in hand to, to how bad, how bad a guy wants it. Right. I feel like in sports, especially like a dangerous sport, like bull riding, um, you have to be willing, you have to love it enough to be willing to die for it, to be as successful mm-hmm. as you can possibly be. I mean, to reach your pinnacle, that's, yeah. you've got to be willing to accept that consequence. Um, I see that. Yeah. I see that in these good dogs too, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. That, for that, sure. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. I'm not willing to die for that no more. Not on that. There's other things I am. <laughs> well, that's the thing. When I was younger, uh, even when I was, when, when I got married, I've been married for a long time. I got married young, but, uh, I was, that was an okay thing for me, right? Like I was okay with that consequence, but when I had kids, that deal shifted, right? It's not, it's not that black and white anymore. And that's not just about you anymore. How old? Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, they're nine and 11. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that, that's something I, we keep, we could wrap this up, but (laughs) I, uh, people ask me all the time, you know, like becoming a dad and I don't know boy or girl, but I remember the first time in the hospital, people would tell you, Oh my God, it's so cool. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yep. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then when it happens, it's like a switch that happens. And I, I I tell people, I'm like, dude, I can't even try to explain to you what it's going to feel like because I, I can't explain it, but it's just a cool thing. You know what I mean? And, and that something triggers it's, it's, way beyond anything you can explain and like you say this desire or whatever it's like there's something bigger than you and whatever and and the true purpose comes out and um that that's just so cool so i don't know Mm -hmm. for sure we always think we got it figured out until something like that humbles us and we realize that there's a whole lot more going on in this world yeah yeah cool well um my last question is there anything in the colorado deal Cody that you know about right now, I, I see, and there's, there's a podcast coming up on that. I know you guys have a fight that could be brewing and I try not to get too excitable early on. You know what I mean? Like I, I like it until we want to keep our powder dry. And so there's a lot of times where people are guns are blazing and I'm like, don't, don't go too far. You know what I mean? Make sure that we, we rally and we organize and we do all the things that we need to be doing to prepare but do you know anything urgent right now that we need to be getting a message out for it? Uh, yeah. As far as the, the proposition of band mountain lion hunting in Colorado mm-hmm. goes, um, you're exactly right. No need to go crazy guns blazing, raising hell right now. Uh, it's a calculated planned response about how we're going to fight this thing. And there's a lot of big, uh, people, very experienced people involved in it. And, um, I feel really good about our, sh- our chances. Right now, it's in the, the Supreme Court of Colorado. Uh, it's gone through the title board hearing. They stripped trophy hunting out of the title, so so that was a win there. And then now in the Supreme Court, they're basically just hashing out everything, making sure it it you know it aligns with different rules. And our lawyers are arguing different things against their lawyers. Um, so it's going to be there until pro- probably like January, mid January. Um, okay. We've done some polling. Uh, Dan Gates was. Uh, uh, CRWM, um, on different parts of the population. And right now, um, that stands 55% are in favor of banning mountain lion hunting. 
45% are against it. Those numbers are actually really encouraging because when we had the wolf uh, initiative come through a couple of years ago, we almost beat that. And the initial polling results were way worse <laughs> than this. Right. They were like way worse. Um, and we haven't even started on, on the big campaign, right. To reach voters. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of where we're at right now. Letting that go through the legal, legal uh, limbo, and in the meantime, we just need to keep raising money to support, um, you know, so we can pay for all the lawyers and, and everything that are helping. So, us what groups, being in the, in the ground in Colorado, um, what groups would you recommend people follow and make sure that, you know, if we're going to take the lead, if we're going to let let people on the ground take the lead and charge, because I know in in certain states, everybody starts making all this noise around and it makes a chaos, right? And so we don't want to have chaos. We want people engaged, ready, and 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 standing by to take orders. And, and how guys, like I said, don't like taking orders, but that's what we need is we need somebody who has a, a, a plan to say, here's the plan. We're not ready to execute it now, but everybody gets in line. Everybody's communicating. We're building that, that infrastructure so that when it is time to execute, we do that. Who would you who would you say that we should try to make sure we get behind? Yep, uh, Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. Uh, that's headed up by Dan Gates. Um, that's um, I'm Vice President of the United Houndsmen of Colorado, and we're totally hundred percent hundred percent supporting him as well. Everything we get is is going to go through him or to him. We're we're small fish in the, the grand scheme of things on all the people that are involved here. But Dan is very, very experienced in this. He's been doing this his whole life. He's got um, a group of lawyers with him. Um, also hired PacWest, PacWest, which is like a political uh, mm -hmm. consulting advisory company. So he's the head of this. He's the tip of the spear right now. And that's that's who I would encourage everybody to support CRWM um, and also uh, UHC, which is United Houndsmen of Colorado. Uh, Everything yeah. that goes to us is 100% tax deductible as well, and it and it goes to Dan to support this fight. Perfect. So those are two, um, yeah, 100%. And if you guys need anything, like, don't hesitate to give me a call. To the W. I, I, I try. Sometimes I, I feel bad because I don't share on Facebook, and I don't. I, I really like to see the states and the associations organized locally, and then I want to try to figure out how to support them. And so sometimes it's tough because I don't, we don't talk about it. Cause I'm like, I want to make sure that I got somebody on the ground that knows the game plan because you know, sometimes things happen behind the scenes. And it's like, man, I, I, I've just seen it so many times where it's like, this is what we're doing. And then everybody on, on social media starts tripping off and it's like, well, okay, hold on guys, hold on. Here's the plan. You know, we gotta, we got a plan. We gotta let it go through this process and we can't burn ourselves out looking at the the process that we can't change. We got to look at where we can jump in and intersect the problem and say, okay, we can't fix it here. We can't fix it here, but right here, that's where everybody's got to focus on. And if we got people chasing it all in the wrong spots, we just, it burns people out. And sometimes that I've just watched that happen so many times. Yeah. So. Yep. Absolutely. And you're right there. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. And as that materializes into a plan and a message, then that's going to start getting out there a lot more and it's timing, right? Like if we, if we raise hell right now, by the time this, this time next year, people have forgotten about it or, mm -hmm. or, or it's in the back of their mind. You know, there's a strategic aspect to that timing of when we really blow it up. And now is not the time. Now's the time to plan. And the, that blowing up stuff will be to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there'll be time for that. So, 
Um, Ross, you got anything as we wrap up? No, I, I'd say if, uh, if links is on your list of things to do, man, just, just get a hold of outfitter, get it booked it. and get it done. You won't regret it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like th there's plenty of outfitters out there that, that do it. I don't want to just sugarcoat our favorites. My, my favorite, you know, like I said, Stuart has just become a really good friend of mine. It's your mountain outfitters. Um, Kelly Morton. I know he's been a customer forever. I mean, I got so many customers that, that I can't name them all, but you know, call and ask around. <clears throat> I just want to make sure that people know that, um, some of the, it is a guided asking, hunt. You know what I mean? So when yeah, you, when you do that. it is a guided hunt. Yeah. Yeah. The more you can appreciate that and the, the more, the more friendly you can be with the guide, <laughs> realize that they, they, they may not want to, you know what I mean? You, you gotta, you gotta be likable enough for them to be like, all right, I'm gonna put up with your ass for a little while. <laughs> and that's pretty hard if, if you're my situation. I only got one steward. Stuart's the guy. I'm like, he'll, he'll put up with me. So I, I know, I know Stuart pretty good, but, um, and he'll tell me when to cut it out. <laughs> Rule number one, listen to your guide. Yep. Definitely worth the experience and uh, highly recommend it. All right. Thank you guys. Cody, we're going to have to do it again sometime. I want to hear about that leopard hunt. We never, we, we're running out there, but let's, let's do it again. I want to hear some more about that leopard hunting. Are you going to go back to that? Are you going to go to back there? Yeah. Yeah. We're actually coming up with a plan now to, uh, to try again and, and maybe bring in some more, uh, some more exposure over there for the benefits of, of, uh, cool. hunting leopards. You, uh, if, if anybody doesn't know, you did a podcast, was it Houndsman XP is where I heard yep. that, I think. Right. So you can go back and listen to Cody on Houndsman XP. You talked a little bit about that leopard. I, I got to chat with you a little bit offline and, and ask you some pointed questions and maybe good, bad, or indifferent. I'd, I'd, I'd have some questions about it, but we'll, we'll save it for the next podcast. Sounds good. Anytime. See you guys.